Warning. The following contains bright, flashing lights, and slash or imager that may cause discomfort, and slash or seizures for those with photosensitive epilepsy. Viewer discretion is advised. Javier, um, last time you were here, we basically went around Tijuana and ate tacos for about a solid, more than half a day, I think. It was a, it was a food coma after that. Yeah, you know what? I got to give you props because you, uh, you were able to last. Your, your endurance was very, very admirable. You were, uh, you were <laughs> I would say, near uh, expert level, for sure. I was, I was trying to pace myself. I'd, I'd never done that on, like, for other people, you know? Usually those... Taco safaris that I do are related to celebrating a divorce, um, getting over a death, uh, or some sort of other horrible situation where you want to distract yourself. So let's go eat a bunch of absurd tacos uh, in one day. Um, before we go into the whole aspect of life uh, and food and uh, adventure, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you... Uh, you and I met uh, online, basically talking about taco spots, recommendations, to a place to eat and stuff like that, basically. Uh, tell us a little bit about you, though. Um, yeah, you know, shout out to answering my DM. Um, you know, I always say that tacos are the great equalizer. Um, it doesn't matter how much money you make or what background you're from. Everyone wants to know where the best tacos are. Um, so, yeah, tacos pretty much rule everything around me. Um, They've been the source of my income for the last, uh, what, five years for just the niche of tacos. But unofficially, I've been writing about food professionally enough for money for 17, 18 years now. Wow. And where does that... What the hell does that mean? Where, where, where does that uh, come from? The, the, I understand the, uh, you know, you... The taco is... It is such an equalizer. I've been in places on the sidewalk with the governor of a state mm -hmm. and his bodyguards are over mm -hmm. there eating tacos and we're all on the street corner eating. Um, I understand that aspect of it is, it is true. And also the fact that you can't replicate it under a roof realistically. Um, well, we, we can get into the double standard of tacos <laughs> later on, that's a, but that's a contentious topic. You know? well, well, uh, but you, uh, journalism is what you went into first, right? This, this whole aspect of trying to, so how the hell does someone end up being a food writer? Yeah. I think is what the question is summarized to. Um, food writer, you know, it's a privileged as hell job. Every single morning I take a deep breath and I realize that I have an extreme privilege and luxury of being able to, you know, spend a day taking you out to go eat tacos and filming it and putting it up on YouTube and talking about punk and ska and, you know, other stuff. Um, but I arrived to it. Um, I grew up as a punk kid. And you know, what, 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 what years? Like, what? what That's was a great your, question. What was your um, punk year? I had so I would. I had my. Uh, I formed my like street punk band in East LA, 2007. So I would say from like to 2004 to 2000. Um, maybe even sooner actually. I, re I remember my first gig, a backyard gig. You know, in East LA. What was um, your East LA punk rock? What are your influences? This is this is uh, early two thousands, I guess. Uh, I, I, got, I gotta give a I, got, I gotta give props to Union Thirteen. 
Um, Union 13. Union 13. They're, they're the only band from the hood, from, from the backyards of Boyle Heights in East LA that actually made it out. Yeah. They got like a record deal with like what Hellcat or Hellcat something. Records, yeah. They released a masterpiece of an album called Islos Presents, which I actually have tattooed on my back. Dude, um, dude, dude. I saw them with Los Kung Fu Monkeys here. Yeah. Well, that's way, way back. But the, still, it's like the, the, they are known. You know? The you know the synergy between Tijuana and LA, um, we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I arrived at food writing because it's I just was reading uh, the local publication LA Weekly. It was free um, on my way back home from school, and I saw this food critic named Jonathan Gold, who actually also had a punk band um, and wrote about punk, and he was writing about dumplings and falafel and tacos and I was like what the hell like you can actually get paid <laughs> to write to, about write, to eat food and like write about it and like that was like my kind of Peter Parker moment like mm, with great power comes great you know like what what like how can I get there like if, if this white dude can do it I can do it too yeah and that was a seed that was planted in me I was uh, probably I was uh I was in ninth grade so you was, saw some you saw in him somebody was also into punk rock mm-hmm that was doing something interesting with the, I don't know, when you, when you say he was into punk rock, it's a culture. So punk is a culture. It's a, it's a it's an anti-establishment culture. It's an anti-establishment, which is weird. Like I consider myself a bit of a punk in my own way. And I grew up that way. But I went into, I went into the establishment and did some bunch of shit, you know, and then we came out of it, you know, but uh, the seeing somebody that has your same uh, cultural background, um, when it comes to punk music, the uh, the the style of it, the anti-establishment mm-hmm. uh, kind of like mindset of it, and then you add to that, and I'm also going to be a food critic. So you saw a window of that as far as a possibility. I just thought, I just like straight up. I mean, you know, I just thought like, what's more punk rock than getting paid to eat as a career? That is the most punk rock thing in the world, probably. <laughs> and you know, if you're a writer, you know it early on in your life. Yeah. Uh, I always say if you're a writer, you're, it's a blessing and a curse because you will go mentally insane if you don't have an output and you don't write. I kept a diary since I was in second grade. Uh, I watched this show, Nick Tunes called Doug. You remember Doug would write in his, in his yeah. diary every, yeah. single, every single day? What was, was it Doug? What was, yeah, what Patty Mayonnaise? Pa- Patty Mayonnaise. His, his main squeeze? Patty Mayonnaise, which means something completely different in Spanish if you think about it. But... <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? Sorry. I haven't thought about that. I remember seeing it and I was like, wait, her name's Patty Mayonnaise? Say that in Spanish. <laughs> and um, the, so the, so you're, 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 even when you're a kid, you're, you're trying to express or have things come out of your head mm-hmm. and you want to put them on a page, yeah, basically. Yeah, on a page. Um, yeah, that was, uh, I was in second grade when I started my, my daily diary and I just kept it going, um, you know, and. Kept what it going, did, and then... What did that know. change for you? Did you feel um, less... Uh, you feel release. When, you, when you're a writer, or even if you're not a writer, you know, when you write your feelings out, you write your... You know, back then, it was like, Dear Journal, I have a crush on blah, 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 and you know, I try to get her flowers or something. You know, it was something dumb like that, right? But yeah. even just the act of, of, like, you know, fi- of physically writing your emotions... Um, your thoughts, your reflections, your daily happenings in your, in your life. That must, have, that must have done something to me because I just kept it going. You know, I think it was a form, you know, I grew up in a very kind of dysfunctional family, very broken home. Um, 
And, you know, but I always had writing in my diary and that kind of like was my, uh, my kind of, uh, I don't know, release, touchstone, I guess. Yeah. Touchstone. About, yeah. That's interesting. Uh, I didn't start writing until I was like 30, I guess. Well, when, when I say writing, I mean writing for other people. But I also kept a, a diary of a sort for most of my 20s. Uh, I remember the power that power that writing had for me when, you know, when you have an idea in your head and you don't, the, it's, it's it's formless and you put it on the page yeah. and it becomes something solid. You know? exactly. Uh, and everyone has ideas. Everyone, you know, we all we all like like to hang out with people. We all like to like we have ambitions. We have all these ideas that imagine if you were just take with just one of those ideas, write it down, and actually execute. Yeah. Do something, you know? yeah. It's usually in the work of genius that we find our own uh, our own um, uh, cast cast away ideas because we don't fucking do it. We just don't believe in ourselves. Is kind of like the uh, yeah. lesson there. That's why I, I always respect your stuff because you always have all those uh, all those white details, all those all those quotes from all those kind of very engaging, powerful quotes that like uh, you know it's a lost it's a lost art. I uh, for me it was uh, you know just like you I think. Uh, I couldn't find voices similar to mine or experiences that I could, other people, just like the reporter that you, the food reporter that you read about, mm -hmm. you know. I didn't have anybody like that realistically for my weird life experience. Musashi, I guess. <laughs> That's why I quote him a lot yeah. because I saw in him, oh, this dude was really angry at the world and he basically taught himself how to be the best at violence and then he went and challenged everybody. Which I didn't do it that way, but you know, I, I, I basically attempted the longest suicide attempt that anybody's ever attempted, I guess, by going wow. into law enforcement in Mexico for that whole while. Uh, but definitely writing down some of these things, uh, having quotes from people that you respect to kind of, or like you see somebody put into words something that you've thought about and you have to share it, or you have to write it down, or you have to keep it somewhere. Uh, it's a very AD, uh, attention deficit disorder aspect of it. There was a there's a there was, there was a beautiful quote. I'm probably gonna butcher it. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase it. That I saw Anthony Bourdain, rest in peace, um, posted, and he had said, "My whole life is a daily diversion of trying to of trying to find distractions to not feed my inner self that just wants to sleep in bed all day, watch cartoons, and smoke pot." <laughs> That's what I actually want to do, but my whole life is just an, a never-ending chase of distractions to not let myself get to that point. Yeah. And yeah. I was, when I read that, I was like, wow. It's that's, like, I think, like, you know, that's, uh, it just hits very deeply. Um, yeah. You're, you're, you're writing about your experiences as you grow. You say your complex life, uh, family life, I think is something... Again, commonality with a lot of people that uh, you have no idea that show up here with their story. Um, what, what's missing? Like uh, whenever I think about my own experiences and like experiences of people growing up, we realize what we're missing only later, right? Well, you're going through it. You you don't know what you're missing until you look around and you see what's missing. Like what was missing for you? I think uh, what was missing is. Um, you know, taking myself seriously and kind of and processing my thoughts because I think a lot of a lot of uh, you know sons of immigrants or Mexican Americans or you know border kids here we normalize a lot of fucked up shit. Yeah, yeah. 
Yes. We, we normalize do. a lot of fucked up shit, whether internally or whether stuff that happens in our in our world, in our worlds around us, and environment and in, in our environments. And it's not until it's not until you're older and you allow yourself to feel that anger. Yeah. That that shit starts to change. I mean, as somebody, I mean, I'm not a, a child of immigrants, but I am an immigrant myself. Um, the swallow it aspect of it, mm -hmm. you just swallow it. That's culturally. Growing up, did you ever have anybody in your family say, "What are you? What are you? What are you feeling? Share your feelings." With <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but I, I actually did have a lot of. I actually had like a. So like you know the the, the kind of uh, since since we're in a safe place here. Safe space. I, I don't go. I actually don't talk about this a lot. But what led me to kind of uh, get obsessed with food was reading a book by Michael Pollan, um, okay. Omnivore's Dilemma. Um, it was his first book on like just like eating and the messed up things that we put in our body sometimes without even knowing it. Um, and as a, I, as a teenager, I, that kind of uh, like shook me. I was like, what the hell? Made me into a vegan or like kind of plant-based person. Now they call it plant-based, but that, that's not really sustainable if you're like a poor kid. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like you can't. Yeah, it's a very first world thing. So uh, I actually lost a lot of weight and I actually had what is now called uh, orthorexia. So it was it wasn't eating disorder because I just was afraid of eating. Yeah. Um, and then I was able to just parlay that obsession with food into a job writing yeah. about it every single day in my life. Yeah, that that uh, it's an interesting relationship in start inception. They have that complex relationship to food. And then, you know, having it turn into... Well, something. you know, going back to your question of, like, did anyone ever ask you that? No, because, I mean, I, my, my oldest brother, Rogelio, he actually was the one who kind of, like, you know, was kind of like my second dad. And, um, and he, had, he had, like, a nice job. So he had insurance, like, therapist insurance. So, yeah, I mean, his, his insurance had, had therapy. So he kind of was able to give me his therapy, and I went therapy. And then they tried to give me, like, an, like antidepressants. Yeah. And I was, like, very young, and, like, on, I think it was, like, Lexapro or some shit. And like, I just remember like, I wasn't just on a trial and I just, I remember going to the, I, like I remember going to a punk show and like not wanting to get in the pit. And I was yeah, like, yeah. what the hell is wrong with me? Yeah, I've you're, never, you're not I, yourself. Yeah, you're like a, like a, I mean, I, I shout out to like antidepressants if you need them. I don't, I don't want to like, you know, talk I, I, shit, but I get it. For, it wasn't for me. So at that point I started to just re reflect more and just live through the trauma and just kind of uh, yeah. deal with it. Musashi quote, everything's within. Nothing inside out of yourself. Everything's within. That aspect of it is interesting. Uh, I've had horrible fucking experiences with medication. I understand that. The whole not feeling like yourself. Yeah, it works over some people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, I'm all about it. Some people are all of. Uh, there's, I think, age. And what happens to us when we're young. And specifically, somebody that's going through an immigrant experience, uh, or the son of immigrants in East LA uh, with some of the issues that are going on in your life at that moment are completely and utterly understandable that you feel the way you would feel depressed. And I think, uh, I don't know, this whole trying to get a solution through a pill aspect of it for some people at that age actually does more damage in, in, in a lot of ways for some people. I, I don't know. On my, on my, on my yeah. experience, it's been that way. I'm just glad that my, like, you know, another topic is like that we could touch on is just like the Mexican tendency to just like not like doctors or not no, like, no, or no, not like, that. or not like medicine. So you're uh, just like, you'll, you'll get, you'll get shot and you will try and figure out a way not to go to the hospital. <laughs> we'll just walk it off. Well, <laughs> it didn't hit bone. You're fine. You know, like tuetano. No, you're, you're not going to get infected. You're fine. I get that. Hydroperoxide uh, all day. Yeah. Just fucking drink a Coke, walk it off. <laughs> it's 
fine. A sprite. It has to be a clear sprite. one. Seven yeah. up. So sprite. Seven up. Uh, you, uh, it sounds like a difficult process. Uh, this, this, uh, being a teenager, you, you, you find solace in writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, journalism becomes a, this is the way aspect of it. Were you sure about it? Was it like a back and forth? I was lucky. Yeah, you know, I, I was... Uh, How so old were you when you just made so that I decision? got my first paid article. They paid me 200 bucks to write about Champurrado and Tamales. And like for like a high school... I was, in, I was 16. I was, I was in 11th grade. And that was my Peter Parkham. And I was like, with great power comes great responsibility. Like, mm. Other people will pay me for to write about freaking Champurrado and Tamales. Are you serious? Fuck no. So, you, you, so that's your first gig? That's my first gig. 200 bucks. Tamales... Champurrado, Latino, write some, write la, some. La, la, it was about Latino Christmas foods. Okay, Latino Christmas food. Oh, that's a lot. That's a lot of calientes, buñuelos. But yeah, you're writing exactly. specifically about champurrados and tamales, which isn't. Bonche. Well, like, I'll take you around here. Champurrado and tamales are like emergency combat rations for Mexican workers. <laughs> this is like in the morning. It's working class Mexican protein bars. Yeah, that, this is the, yeah, at work, we would before we go out to work, everybody would be at the armory cleaning their shit and one would run to the tamale and champurrado stand and come back with... Tam, to, to the tamal stand. Tamal. I'm going to correct you, bro, because tamal. that's one thing that I take a lot. I kind of uh, actually written about this subject. It's tamal, not tamale. You tamale. Tamale. Tamales. Tamal. 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 Tamales. Yes, exactly. You can hear here. Tamale yeah. is uh, tamal. That's some Texan shit, bro. I'm trying. It's weird trying to go from English and Spanish. Specifically, yeah. if I'm not native born, I have this tendency of overcorrecting. Code switching. Be- the art of code switching. Uh, for me, it's uh, I don't want to be treated differently because of an accent, oh, which is a weird aspect. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, so you, so what's this article like? This it was- art- it's, it's this article. It's your moment, your Peter Parker moment. It was moment. like, it was like you Champurrado know, every writer, if you're a writer, you go back and read your old copy, your old writing, and you're like, if, if you're not cringing at yourself, <laughs> then, you're, then you're not doing it right. Because, yeah. you know, we, all, we always constantly grow. And it was, you know, it was a pretty shitty article. I mean, 100%. It was, <laughs> I, I, understand, so I understand that aspect of, like, wh- what, what are you thinking about when you're writing this article? I should, I should uh, really focus on the flavor, texture, profile of this description. Uh, what what are you thinking about writing about this? I think that's why I think that's why people I think that's why I was able to grow in this space because I just chose to not use all those like dumb food words. Like how many times can you use toothsome or like <laughs> fluffy or like delicious or like you know? There's all these kind of like extra curriculum food words that like just make food writing sound like a like a joke or like a parable. So where I've been able to thrive is finding the intersection of like how using food as a prism to show the socioeconomic uh, just areas around there or like the scene that I, the environment around it. And even back then, um, you know, I was able to draw parallels between more like family memories or reflections. And, you know, there's this huge thing, you know, of, on like representation in journalism, you know, and like, like you said, you didn't have anyone else that you, that did what you did that sounded like you, that looked like you. So I think I started around the same time. I mean, I, I got like an early head start in that when, but again, I didn't even know that. Like, I didn't call my shit, like, you know, I didn't, like, use the word Latino, like, over and over and over again to try, like, you know, I just, I'm a big believer of show, don't tell. Yeah. So, you know, I just, just showed not, I just showed and didn't tell, but without 
I just did it innately without trying to. Yeah, people would see who you were through your, your the way you would yeah. write, the way you yeah. would, would speak. Yeah. Um, slang words. Uh, yeah. Insider, cultural, cultural insider references. Yeah. You know? yeah. And then I eventually realized that um, a lot of stuff, you know, I always tell writers, because writing is an extremely cutthroat, competitive, like, field. If you want to be a journalist or a writer, you have to be really damn good. You have to be really fast. You have to, especially nowadays. But no one else is like going to, no one else is going to have your experience. Like your experience as a human being in this earth, like that, that reflection, that writing, um, that's going to come out in your story. So I always tell that to, to people because, uh, again, like talking about normalizing things, like we don't, a lot of things that we grew up, like my latest book, I did a, a book on kind of asada culture. And like, if you think about asada culture, like going to a backyard, having like grilling some meat. Like you and I know about it. It's like commonplace, but like someone from like the Midwest or someone from like even northern, you know, like uh, Northwest or in the East Coast, and they'd be like, what the hell? You just go over to someone's backyard and you just, there's a big feast and you, just, and you drink beer and you have a good time and it's yeah. grilled meat. And it's, it's not, a, and it's, it's not, it's, it's not burgers and hot dogs. What? Yeah. It's a birthday party for a three year old, but there's bands playing <laughs> in the backyard. Yeah. What's going on? So when you, when you write about all these things, you know, the audience finds it. And you're like, and then the audience will will be able to, you know, identify with you, and that's I think like a bit of the most one of the most powerful things with writing. That, con- um, that connection. That connection, and you don't do it unless you. It, I mean, unless you, you don't find it unless you actually sit, sit your ass down and do it. Yeah, you know? the. That, that's an interesting. That's an interesting point of view. The uh, so you start writing from the perspective of, hey, I want to write about food, but also I want them to know a little bit about me, where I come from. Yeah. All personal this, all essays. This. The power of personal essays, you know, using uh, I, in, in, in journalism, I mean, like if you, if you go to school, which I dropped out, uh, they'll, they'll teach you, oh, only use uh, first person or I, uh, if, you know, like as the last resort. But like in this, in this kind of quickly AI generated world that we're living in. Yeah. Like that's all we have is our is our hearts, our big hearts. The, and the 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 big hearts and the mistakes that it produces. Exactly, and the, there's there's beauty in the mistakes, you know, because you yeah. grow. Like I said earlier, you grow and you 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 cringe at your at yourself and what you're saying and what you're thinking and what you're writing, and then you know next time to not do that anymore. Like, hey, yeah. that was a cliche, bro. Like, you know, just you gotta be like, this, like don't do cliche. Like, yeah, this know. whole AI thing is freaky. Oh yeah, I've I've had writers, you know, because I'm an editor of a publication in LA called LA Taco, and I've I've uh, I've I've had. I don't know, like I can't say for sure, but I've had I've had like a have, feeling in my stomach that people have sent me AI generated copies. So I th- so you're getting our generation's uncanny valley feeling of seeing uh, I don't know, the Grand Moth Admiral show up in Rogue One, you know? And you know, that guy's not real, he's CGI. Something in my eyes is just telling me this motherfucker isn't real yeah we're getting the same experience of now reading like reading somebody's did he read it this seems too structured or there's generalist it's it's general it's general as hell yeah it's just general and like those fluffy food words and like you can only use like toothsome so many damn times you know like uh, or foodie i hate the word foodie so much it's actually i have a list of banned words that i don't publish um you know (laughs) <laughs> Authentic is one of them too. Yeah, it's a loaded term. Yeah. Um, you know, toothsome, fluffy, creamy. There's like all these kind of words that are overused. They they can act as crutches. Yeah. Um, again, just go back to show don't tell. Instead of saying creamy, describe what what yeah. it is. You know. And uh, do you, do you find yourself learning new words when you go to some of these places to eat yourself? Uh, like uh, like uh, I don't know. 
you go somewhere and these uh, there's like an like an expression, a new type of food. Uh, you see somebody that's local from a place and they're trying to bring their local food to LA and it's a thing. So there's language that gets created. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I always try to, you know, I was talking about, I was a guest on the David Chang podcast a couple of uh, weeks ago and, and we were discussing what, whether, when it's worth to try to order something in the native language of whatever restaurant you're eating yeah. or like, are you insulting them by trying and butchering it or are you like honoring and trying your best? And it's, I, I'm a firm believer that like, if you try your best to speak it, um, you know, you'll get a little chuckle, a little laugh. And that opens up just like a, like a waterfall, like a rush of just endorphins, just in trying with your server, you know? And I, I, I try to honor the language more than like, you know, just say like guaca, guac, yeah. guacamole. Every or, time I go into a restaurant that is a part of another culture, I always think about going into somebody else's house. Yeah. So like I have to like, I'm really into Vietnamese food. Oh, dude. dude like, it, it's like Oof. a... Yeah. That Filipino cuisine as well. And I'm, it's like a weird obsession that I have. And I love, again, I'm known, I'm known for tacos because yeah. this is where I grew up. But when I go there, I purposely, like, ask, I'm like a five-year-old. I ask questions about everything. Yeah. What is this? Yeah. What is it? What is... How do you say that? How do you yeah. pronounce this? Yes. Um... It's a big aspect of my the way I like experience food, specifically from another place. Have you ever been to Brodard in Little Saigon in Westminster? No. Be, oh man, we have to go like ASAP. That that place, if you like Vietnamese food, it will change your life. I will. I will figure that out. I guess. <laughs> um, you you start building uh, a name for yourself, working uh, L.A. area, California specifically, uh, kind of like talk, specifically writing about food. Yeah, writing about it was uh, it was back then in the LA Weekly days and the alternative weeklies. They're such a fundamental part of journalism culture in the U.S. because they were a place that would give you a shot if you had no byline. Um, so I started writing uh, for LA Weekly, uh, writing about local food, and then LA Times freelancing too. I was I had a blog. I actually DIY'd it. I, before all this, I had a food blog. Yeah, this is before food blogs were like an online diary of sorts that you would just write about food. And it was before Yelp, before Instagram, you would take photos of food with your big old bazooka DSLR camera. Yeah. Um, so I started doing that, uploading where, where photos. Would, where would you upload? Uh, on, on Blogger, blogspot.com. Blogspot. Blogspot. And then I had my blog. I came up with a name for myself. It was called The Teenage Glutster. Oh, yeah. Uh, the root words were uh, glutster, I mean gluttony and gluttony. Uh, gangster. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then just, just, just teenager because I started when I was, I started when I was 16. And people like it. People liked it. People were commenting. And then I got a little, a little plug on LA Times. And then um, some of the biggest moments in, my, in, that early, my, in that early part of my career was when Jonathan Gold, who's the only food critic in the world to win a Pulitzer Award, rest in peace, um, he gave me full credit for like, uh, finding like a, a new mole restaurant in East LA that did like different moles. They had like passion fruit mole with venison. He, he I learned this about, I learned this about this place from this guy. Exactly, and he like how did that feel? He fully attributed. He fully gave me attribution. Did, did you know him by then, or was uh, this like, or was this like a, like a, like you're still in my yeah? So from at that far. point, I had so okay. So this is, you know, I'm teaching a class right now for USC on Tijuana food and culture, and one thing that is getting lost in this generation is just the art of sending a cold email. Just if you looked up, if you look up to send them, if you look up to someone, just send them a cold email. So, yeah. I, yeah. sent, I sent a cold email to, to Jonathan Gold when I was reading his stuff, and he responded. And then that was the beginning of something very special in my life. And he kind of took me under his wing. 
I, through him, I was, I was able to do, uh, um, have more of a mentorship kind of career path as opposed to like... A, the, the, this aspect of mentorship is something I've talked about on this podcast several times. Uh, it's, it's important. I had, I had one of my mentors like sitting right there where you were, uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Lizola. Uh, he was instrumental in me not being a piece of shit, like, you <laughs> yeah. know, uh, at work and as a human being. Uh, what was he to like? What was his part? I mean, obviously you had the passion, you had to drive, you had your life experience that you were going through, trying to figure things out. You knew what you wanted to do. You saw in him some inspiration, but as a mentor, we talk about him being a mentor. Like, what, what was his function as a mentor to you? Well, the world of journalism um, has lots of, has lots of flaws. Uh, one of them being that. You know, publications are lazy and editors are lazy and go back to the same old people to tell the same old stories. Yeah. And um, it's kind of hard to break into, like, uh, or get a referral or get a, you know, kind of get your foot in the door if you're, like, a kid with no byline. So Jonathan Gold referred me, actually, for that publication, um, the, my first one, the, and then Alto LA Times. I, I eventually became his restaurant scout. I, I was the extension of his belly. Um, so he trusted me. So... This mentorship, he opened up, he ended up opening up a lot of paths, a lot of doors in my life. I, I was even in his documentary called City of Gold. If you haven't seen it, it's a beautiful film. Just talking, it's like a love letter to, to food culture, uh, LA food culture. And um, so with that, I was able to actually to, uh, um, uh, I, I wrote my first cover story for a very glossy and pre prestigious magazine in New York called Server on La Comida de Zacatecas. It was, my, it was where my mom is from. Zacatecas. Zacatecas. And Zacatecas. Spice, spicy place. I mean, it's yeah. a, it's one of the spiciest places. Right I, now. You know, I was going there. I was going. I went there in 2010, and you know, it was. I I, I like to say I got the tail end glory days of like journalism because you know they the magazine flew me out. My mom and I, I met all my tias over there. They issued. They gave me like this white photographer dude, and this that was around a time when I think when setas were just getting there, and yeah. and it was literally like I'm not actually you not. It was literally like you don't say their name out loud. Yeah. It was literally like. Yeah. And then yeah, and then you wouldn't go out at night. And, the, and, my wife, and my wife photographer friend, who's still around, um, shout out to Todd, um, he was like, what are y'all so scared of? And he would just go out and go buy a beer at night, like no big yeah. deal. Luckily, nothing happened. But that was around the time when, like, yeah, like I think they were just setting up yeah, base there. Yeah, right now it's the uh, Sinaloa cartel, the new generation cartel, and what's left of the Zetas basically having added for that very lucrative quarter of drugs. But Zacatecas is yeah. amazing. It's an amazing place. Beautiful. Be beautiful. Uh, food there, it's its own thing. Yeah, food is very food is very humble there. It's just you know you'll have like nineteen different styles of like varieties of beans. Yep, amazing, stinky, beautiful cheese that smell like patas and taste amazing. And like I said, yeah, beautiful handmade corn tortillas, tunas. There's so many. I love tunas. Yeah. Tunas are uh, I hate how people in the U.S. call them prickly pears because then no. you draw like a uh, you you uh, subconsciously draw a comparison to a pear. I call them a cactus fruit in English. Yeah. Uh, and they have like just as many styles as they have like apples in the U.S. They have like tunas, yeah. they here, have like red ones, yellow ones, purple ones. Yeah, here we only have red and red and green. I remember going out there and seeing that's just a very rainbow of, of yeah. uh, choices they have. I remember somebody handing me a bolillo in in uh, Zacatecas and digging out the inside of it bare hand. Uh, this old lady, I was at a house. We were we were being held up at a house for a bit. Uh, lady there, uh, we paid her 200 pesos to feed four guys. Wow. Uh, she went to the store. She couldn't walk. I don't know how she, she was old. She went out uh, and came back with a basket and a bunch of bolillos wrapped. 
while the beans were cooking. And he gave all of us a bolillo, ripped out the middle part of the bread and gave it to us really warm. And we ate it. That was heaven. Wow. Bunch of bunch of 28-year-old, five-year-olds basically at that table at that moment. <laughs> and um, a spoon of uh, black beans and cheese that smelled like feet. Yeah. <sighs> and yeah. Café La Olla, this burnt-ass fucking coffee pot. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> that lady was, when we got there, we were trying to keep her safe from her breaking or... You know, like, what do you need? You're like, and at that moment, she was feeding us. She was God. Mm-hmm. Like, four guys on that table, all very highly capable dudes. She's God. She's fucking feeding us beans, bread, and cheese. That sounds, like a, that sounds like the Zacatecas story. You probably also are missing nopales. That was a, we, uh, we no, eat a lot of nopales in Zacatecas. No, 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 nopales, yeah. Uh, um, it's actually, I think, the capital for. It used to be, I don't know if it still is, on like exporting nopales to you to the U.S. Yeah. So all the nopales that you find in like Mexican supermarkets across the U.S. are probably from Zacatecas. And I'm sure now it's a lot more yeah. uh, uh, different. But Yeah. The, the experience of uh, that, uh, that, cross-culture, that cross-cultural border experience, specifically around L.A. and Tijuana, um, when we first met, a lot of our conversations were related to like bands that we knew and spots that we would go eat. And I just realized how connected these two cultures are, cities. When I say cultures and cities, I mean, like one of my first guests here on the podcast was a guy, Conejo, he's a rapper. Oh, yeah. That I was a part of arresting here in Tijuana and then sending, sending back to the U.S. Uh, <laughs> but uh, when, we, when we, we're friends now and we're cool, and when we talk about our kind of like when we were both moving around, running around, is the aspect of he's from L.A. and I'm from T.J., how similar these two cities are as far as their stories, uh, the people, the food, and how it's like a, it's basically a place where people exchange places every now and then as they move back and forth between these two places. What's your, what was your relationship to, to traveling to Mexico? Like you say Zacatecas for journalism, but like... Uh, you write about tacos a lot and border culture, and you're about to speak to a university on this subject, which is what better person to do it? Uh, what uh, what got you into this whole, hey, let's go see what it's like beyond this place where people say it's dangerous? So for Tijuana and for... Uh, so I would say the first place that I grew up going to, um, my dad would take me uh, to Mexico City because he used to have like an apartment structure there. Um, couple of them and then so i grew up going to mexico city but like in like the kind of barrio parts of mexico city yeah, this is palapa where the hell are you um it was like bar- it was like always always i haven't yeah. gone in a long time yeah um and uh this is barrio bravo place. yeah this is fucking by la by la refineria it's like a little closer refiner- to yeah refineries um and uh i grew up going there and then but tijuana i how, how, also started coming here with my dad and uh, when I was getting older, uh, I started to realize that there was a big connecting uh, topic that would that both Tijuana and LA had, and that was that both cities are misunderstood and easy to hate on. Yeah, if you're um, not from there, you can not, shit on it all the day. Yeah, and you probably will continue shitting on it. Um, so uh, I, I was able to form 
that kind of that comparison, that, that similarity early on. Uh, in 2000, maybe what? This must have been 2009 or 10 or something. Kotuko, which is the tourism board here, yeah, uh, they bust out a bunch of uh, like food writers for like you know just to kind of it was like probably like the view like the version one of like food, uh, the food media like the food explosion here. Placentia was kind of hitting his stride. Valle was just kind of taking off. I think there I think there were only like 10 restaurants in Valle back then. I mean, I'm sure there were a little more, but you know, the ones that were kind of big. Uh, so, I mean, when I say Valle, I say Valle Guadalupe. Valle Guadalupe, which is Mexican wine country, which is a beautiful, amazing place that... Don't tell anybody. It's I mean, everyone already knows. It's yeah, so no. expensive. It's good. But it's... Yeah, it's amazing. It, for a while, I, I got to enjoy that. Uh, in Valle Guadalupe, I got to enjoy it when it was like a local thing. Yeah. You know? That's a sore subject if, you, if you're like an, 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 someone from Ensenada or someone from like the region here. And you tell them, you talk to them about Valle, and they grew up to go in there. It's it's like it's just it's, it's mutated into like it's it's insane. A beast of capitalism. It's insane. Well, we, we, we locals do is we'll go there during the week. You know, we'll get yeah, sick. Yeah, we'll get sick on Thursday or something yeah. like that and fucking go. Um, um, so yeah, so the, you know this this uh, it was like a bus. It was like a bus of like a bunch of chefs and like media, uh, and and we just kind of ate. We did. I did. The exact same thing that you and I did. We just kind of ate, but like so much more. It was probably like 10 stops in a day. And it was for two days. And it was like probably like 21st, 24 place to eat in like two days. And, you know, <laughs> if you're a food expert, you just, you just do it. I mean, this is, this is what, this is our yeah. moments. This is our moments. And um, so I, I, that kind of was instrumental in losing my fear and losing my personal fear. When you said, when you say fear, what were you afraid of or what was the, like the um, the looming conversation around Tijuana that happened. I mean, I was young back then, you know. I was young back then, and and, and you don't travel as much uh, when you're younger, and I didn't um, because I couldn't afford to. So um, coming to Tijuana, lo losing that fear of just like being able to come on my own and just drive in, drive out, or walk in, walk out, which is my hack. I actually park in the U.S. side. Yeah. It's gotten so expensive now. It's they they jacked up the prices, but it's still worth it. Still worth it. Um, so just just kind of just kind of coming here and just and just seeing that like you know Tijuana's ex almost exactly like LA in the terms of like there's a lot of crazy pockets, but there's also a lot of gloriously grimy places. Yeah. Like pockets. Yeah. And it's it, it's a uh, it's just like LA. It, it could be anything to anybody. Tijuana. It has very high class value neighborhoods and mm -hmm. luxury apartments. And it has slums made out of cardboard. Mm -hmm. It's like it's it's, it's humanity. It's humanity, and and you know that's it's exactly like LA. You know, if <laughs> I love I love seeing the reactions of like you know tourists whenever they pass through Skid Row, and they're just their faces of like just utter shock and disbelief, yeah. or even like Hollywood Boulevard, or just like you know the homeless situation in LA. Um, and then I think like that kind of because I I kind of at one point I used to bring people to Tijuana on like a monthly basis. Yeah. Cause I, 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 if I like you, I'll take you for a taco crawl in LA. If I really like you, slash you. love you, I'll take you to a, a taco crawl in Tijuana. Yeah. The Tijuana, the tacos here are just, the worst taco here is better than like the best in LA. There's, you'll get hate, but I understand that aspect of it. Culturally uh, speaking, you come here as a son of immigrants. How does it feel? Like I'm from here, like I was born in Mexico. And I am an immigrant to the United States. And I meet uh, children of immigrants. 
and I meet uh, first generation Americans and I meet you know people that are very that uh, adamant about being called Latinx and I meet people very adamant about not being called mm -hmm. Latinx. Uh, there is definitely uh, an identity dysphoria of a sort with a lot of uh, uh, young men in the Latin community, uh, children of immigrants, mm -hmm. and I, I, I um, I've gotten to experience them coming to places like Tijuana, like you, where you are here and you're treated like a gringo is mm -hmm. what some like to say. I'm treated like a foreigner, but I'm Mexican. Mm -hmm. And there's this weird kind of back and forth as far as am I Mexican? Am I Latin? Am I Latinx? What am I? What the hell am I? Do you feel any of that coming here? So my story is a little different because I've grown a lot in this in this uh, topic of you know Chicano identity, Mexican American identity, because I married a Mexican woman. Yeah. I married someone from Puerto Vallarta, who you know went to university in Guadalajara, and like she's Mexican. And like, uh, does she have a does she have a vaccines car? Uh, she's, if she, she does, does not, she's, no. She's probably she's probably really Mexican if she does. And uh, <laughs> but you know I I. When I met her, I told her that I was, I was like, oh, yeah. She's like, oh, and where are you from? And I was like, oh, I'm from, I'm, I'm Mexican. And then she's like, oh, like, what part? I'm like, L.A. And she's like, wait a minute. You're not Mexican then. And I'm like, oh, crap, I'm not. Um, so That's a weird perception, though. That's a weird perception. Because, because for Mexicans? We go, in L.A., in L.A., you go around telling, oh, yeah, Mexican. <laughs> it's like pop culture. You know, there's all these, like, memes about it and stuff. And, and, uh, but when you actually meet someone from Mexico, you realize that it all boils down to just, like, privilege privilege and you know it's much different um if you're an immigrant you know yeah. and i realized this you know the hard way because my some of the biggest arguments that my wife and i first had was my incessant stubborn pride for using words like marqueta and troca yeah and then her as someone from la interior de mexico you know not like la frontera someone from deeper mexico she was like those words don't exist in like spanish yeah. what are you talking about and i was like those are border but, words but these are our words you don't get it and she's like but that's not proper spanish you don't get it <laughs> so we would argue like like for hours about like language like like legit arguments and i would yeah. so the radical there's radical differences in like in Chica chicanos mexican americans and, and mexicans when it comes to actual privilege and uh i mean frankly i've learned this a lot of it has to do with like a victimized mindset. Oh yeah, a victimized mindset of Chicanos. You know, like they there's there's, there's they a thing that as soon I you get here. yeah they sell it as soon as you get there. And I get it. You know, there's trauma. There's like the Chicano walkouts. You know, like the breakouts when you couldn't speak Spanish in school in like the '60s or, you know, all, all the history of like the suit suit riots and the Pachucos getting beat up. Um, you know, on like you know along Whittier Boulevard and Ruben Salazar getting killed. You know, there's all there's but all that happened so long ago. And yes, I'm not gonna forget it. But yeah. like. My like my like, like my wife always tells me, ya superalo, get over it, you know, like and I it's it's I'm never gonna forget this moment. I was I was two hours late and the first time I met my wife, she was living in Portland, Oregon. She flew into LA to see me. It was a Friday. But that Friday I was taking a Chicano history class and that was the day that we did not that we were taking a Nahuatl classes. Okay. And uh and uh and notice I say Nahuatl, not not Nahuatl. All right, and um uh, and uh I, t I took it and I, and I like took my sweet time because I really wanted to, I was really, yeah. you know, I, mean, I think every kind of Mexican American goes to like, oh, I'm indigenous, whatever. <laughs> and then, uh, and then like, I was two hours late, my Vespa broke down. I had to, I had to go in my dad's car. And, and like, I told her, I was like, oh, like, man, what took you so long? And I was like, oh, it's because I was taking a, a Nahuatl class. And she's like, why are you, why are you, are you learning to speak uh, dead language? Why don't you apply that same, like, um, you know, uh, 
that same time and energy to learn how to see, how to speak uh, proper Spanish so you can talk to me better. And I was like, it's perspective. Damn, it's you're perspective. Right. It's a perspective. Uh, native culture in Mexico. There's some people that appreciate it, respect yeah. it. I mean, I grew up around a bunch of uh, cumbia. Yeah, uh, and like, they're great. They know shit. They make fucking amazing birre de pozo. Best that I've ever had. Uh, but they will want to be me and take off that culture and want to go live in the city. Mm -hmm. And that's like a Mexican mindset aspect of it. We don't... Uh, uh, native pride... Yeah. None, of, none of that is kind of like here in a yeah. way. And every single tribal uh, group in Mexico is very tribal. It's separate. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't talk, they don't talk to each other. It's an interesting aspect. Latinos or Chicanos in LA versus Chicanos in Texas. Completely oh, yeah. different thing. Yeah. And I travel a lot and I talk to all these people. Weird things. Um, in history books, we learn in Mexico that the Alamo was about keeping slaves. In the U.S., Davy Crockett and all of the, all the mm -hmm. story behind it. It's completely different, right? Mm -hmm. Mexico enacted the first anti-slavery slavery laws in the continent. And people that were living in Texas did not want those laws to be applied there. So Mexico sends its military to enforce those laws. And the aspect of it, how history, depending on where you were from, yeah. and what's told to you and what is feels better to you, that is that is what gets put into your programming. Yeah, that creates the narrative, you know, like that was that was one thing that I'm, I'm you know, again, I used to identify with like ni la ni la ya, which uh. is like, that's like the golden, like the golden phrase, like the, like the tagline for Chicanos, right? And, they, and we pride ourselves in kind of like, I, I, when, when I go to Mexico, I get otherwise, but in, in the in US, I'm also otherwise, ah. But then, you know, my wife was like, no, you have a privilege, you have, it is that key either, yeah. It is that key. So either, a slight yeah. context shift. Yeah. And just kind of like from that hand there. Yeah, yeah. And that's and that context shift is like the, the different perspective of like, you know, feeling vic victimized or kind of like like the pobrecito de me, like poor me. Or yeah. just being like, hell no, damn it. I'm I'm from both. And yeah. I can and I can identify with both, and that's a damn privilege. And and it's just at that point, it's a matter of just um learning how to speak like, you know, yeah. or trying your best to speak better Spanish. I think there's two extremes to that and that I've seen in my experience, I don't know. Um, there is the American, the American, the immigrant, the Mexican immigrant experience of going to the U.S. and completely killing every aspect of your culture, so your kids don't get mm -hmm. treated differently mm -hmm. and they assimilate. Mm -hmm. That's one extreme. The other extreme is we are victims coming here. We're victims in the place that we're from. Mm -hmm. We're victims here. I deserve this. I need this. This is a this. I should get this. Um, I am not only Mexican. I'm not. I will. I'm fucking Mexica. You know yeah. that aspect of it. They go to that extreme of it. Uh, I don't know. There's some. There, I I have a an American daughter, and with her, I've been trying to show her her country's history. Mm -hmm. Um. But also her culture. You know, when I when I mean by her, her culture, I mean American and Mexican culture, because the U.S. does have a culture. If people say that the U.S. doesn't have a culture, 
it's not as rich as the Mexican culture. Yeah. It's young. It's not as old yeah. uh, per se as Mexican culture in, in a lot of ways. It's um, not as wild, you know. Like it's it's not as when I say not as wild. I mean, there's some wild shit in, in American culture. I mean, there's I went to Tennessee and saw a bunch of people dancing with poisonous snakes to prove their faith. Whoa! And this was Tennessee. As somebody from Mexico, where you crucify people every now and then here, I can see the wildness in that aspect. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why some of the more you know, Kentucky, Tennessee, parts of the country in the U.S. Have, have, have been where I've found my American experience, I think. Those are the places where I've found myself in America, in the U.S., in my mind, I think. And there's also a lot of Mexicans there now. Yeah. In the South. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The... But how to how to save that? And I think a big way of trying to save that uh, cultural aspect for her, for my daughter, has been through food. Yeah, food is an interesting thing. Even even in some of the most uh, the families that I've seen that have have gone through the most cultural, you know, the food survives some of that. Sometimes it's there still. Um, the the aspect of being able to communicate with your ancestors through food is something we do here during Day of the Dead, for example. Yeah. And how my daughter knows the favorite food of people, that family members of hers that she never met. She knows what her great-grandfather's favorite uh, food was. On this topic, uh, real quick, um, I just this morning I got up early and I published a story exactly on that. Yeah. So there's a new exhibition um, at the only Mexican museum, Mexican food museum in the, in the country, in the U.S., uh, called La Plaza de Cultura y Artes. And they actually, right now, I think they just, it just started, but it's, a, it's an exhibition, an art exhibition, that uh, is like publishing or like with, with photography and cookbooks and recipe cards. It's Las, favoritas, la, las Recetas Favoritas de la Gente Desaparecida de México. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's like it's a, it's literally a photographer. Um, her last name is Lucini Lucini. She's from Argentina, but she went around to all the different collectives around Sinaloa and Guanajuato, and like you know found uh, the recipes of uh, you know of the of the of their disappeared people in Mexico. Yeah. And you know going back to like how powerful food is, you know she was, I I love her quote. She was like, "Why should their why should their rich life stories be summarized into their into their disappearances? Why can't it be?" Why can't you can we switch, switch the narrative and talk about instead the food that they love to eat and the recipes that, that they love to cook? Yeah, and I'm like, damn, you know, yeah. food is extremely powerful in that way, and it can be again just going back to the intersection of using it as a prism, you know, and the topic of the tragic topic of, of gente desaparecida in Mexico, you know, the the the, the, the people who disappeared in Mexico and I, and I never found. There's even a food angle there. Yeah, that's in, that's insane. It's, it's weird, uh, and also I mean, pozole, pozole, yeah, that's the food angle there, and actually. Had to see him and look for some of those bodies myself when I was working. Um, the story of Pozole is pretty interesting. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's like that's like you know it's like the story of, te- of of avocados. Yeah, testicles, and then Pozole what? Human sacrifice meat. Yeah, mm. basically uh, somebody would tax a town nearby the the Mexica Empire, the Aztec Empire. Uh, and since he had, was under the the protection of the Mexica Empire, you know, he, he's untouchable until he wasn't. And um, all the women that he had his way with tore the fucker apart 
and they made him into a big pot of <laughs> soda. That's supposedly the, the the legendary origin story of that. I'm not sure if it is or not. Uh, but yeah, the, in Mexico, food is a way to communicate. It has a language. It uh, t- talks about privilege. Uh, it talks about where you are in the social stratus, love, mm-hmm. um, sadness, mm-hmm. uh, bar food. You know, cantinas. Cantina, can't get bars. Like uh, I remember getting. It's weird. Somewhere in Guadalajara, I had a, a fish broth brought to my table. Mm. Cantina food. Just a fucking fish broth. That's just nourishment in its purest form. And it's like, what is this for? Uh, it's para el aguante. It's, it's for the... Yeah, you're drinking. You need some substance. It's for the uh, long run, basically. Oh! You know? It's para el aguante. It. Um, but yeah, definitely food in Mexico definitely has its way of seeping into different things that would be surprises as far as a language goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's like a tradition we have before we get here. It's always him, though. Avi, like, we're, gonna, we're talking about our, uh, the man behind all the magic here at the studio, um, Abram, Avi. Uh, I grew, basically, he was my mentor when it came to horror movies and tacos, I think. Avi knows all the best places to go eat, like the best, the best tacos. He, what's the name of that Vire place? The, the last Vire place we went to. Uh, the one on uh, Benitez. I don't even remember it. Like a town name. It, this, this, he's, like, he's always like, hey, I know we're going to we have to go and record a podcast, but we need to go to this fucking Vire place that I just found. It's like, God, fuck. So we go out of this fucking way, 30 minutes. So the car almost gets crashed into. It's, these the people there are not friendly at all or welcoming or warm. Taqueros? Taqueros are just like, you can see them. They're from a very part, specific part of Mexico where people don't say good morning, I guess. <laughs> and they're like, and there's this weird thing where it's like, what they have on me? They have fresh squeezed orange juice yeah. and birria. It's like, what the fuck? Sounds like my perfect freaking breakfast. But I, you, yeah, I didn't know. So it's like, try it. Every particular place has a different. There's something different to all of them that that makes it magic. This one was just basically the unwelcoming, unfriendly nature of the place, and the fact that the birria was just fire. The tortillas were fire. The consomme was fire. Was it was it like like dorado, like crispy? Yeah. Oh, the uh, Abby's always asking for dorado, extra dorado. Hell yeah. We 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 I, I we talk I talk about this because. Uh, that was re- before we started recording. He's like, ah, we went to be the KMI. You're burning us. Stop burning us. Um, the, um, you know, the, the aspect of uh, street tacos and how they've become almost like a mainstream thing from cartoons to stickers to emojis, emojis to work environments now being. Influenced by Taco Tuesdays or whatever the hell is going on. It's a series on Netflix. Se- uh, Netflix series is, which I have some questions about. We'll talk about that in a bit. But like uh, the 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 aspect of the taco now becoming this, it, it, it used to not be that. Uh, what's changed culturally for the taco? The taco in American minds was usually a, a Taco Bell. That was taco. That that used to be tacos in most mainstream American minds and 
internationally as well. The uh, hard shell, uh, shredded cheese, cabbage, or whatever you want to put in there, and uh, meat. What changed? I think what changed was, uh, you know, the demand for content, first of all, and, you know, this kind of new generation of uh, individuality with food. Um, yes, like you said, uh, tacos used to be like just working class food. There was no, there was no glamorization around it. If you, knew, if you knew good spots, you knew where good spots are. If you were a writer, you wrote about them, you interviewed them. Um, but, you know, with the surge in like, Content, you know, social media, influencers. Look at me and where I'm eating. Exactly. And it's, which I have a kind of problem with, but whatever. Um, it's it's uh, the demand for content just led for this nonstop just machine of looking for place to cover. Um, I would say also a lot of people a lot of like kids of immigrants, a lot of like immigrants, you know, grew up, had a little more power, a little more, they were refining their careers and they're like, oh, let's, let's do tacos. Let's, let's cover tacos. Let's cover tacos in a way that there's my boss. I will give, I will give a props. I will give a shout out to my boss, Pablo Cruz. He is a creator of the Taco Chronicles on Netflix. And um, he's also the, the executive director uh, of the Luis Miguel series. So the Netflix series, the, the Talk Chronicles was like a small fries for him. Luis, Luis Miguel was everything. It was everything. That, Lu series, that series was great. Luis Miguel. He, he actually came out and he was like a, the executive in the end that like sat down the table. Dude, fire series, fire series. I, I only know about Luis Miguel through his music. No fucking clue how fascinating that guy's life was. But yeah, that's, that's a great show. Um, um, and then, you know, so, you know, it's, again, it's like if they could, I, I think it all goes back to why, why, if they can do it, why can't I? And, you know, Chef's Table on Netflix was, you know, had already, I don't know how many series, how many seasons, um, they brought like a very beautiful theatrical element to food, to kind of fine dining food, which lends itself for that. But Pablo Cruz was like, why don't, can we do that for tacos? Him and I have been trying to work on something for, I've known him for a long time, probably like 12 or 13 years. We tried to do a couple of pilots before, um, but then he got this Netflix, you know, when Netflix did Latin America, um, he got this thing with them and, and he asked me, he's like, hey, like, are you willing to uh, be like my taco scout? Yeah. And like just, you know, I, I would trust you to just go and, Taste figure, all out, figure out the spots. Figure out the spots. More importantly, the people behind them. Right? And uh, so I would say that's what changed is that the demand for content. I mean, if we're being just real, if we're yeah. being real, if we're being yeah. real, like the demand for content and individuality and representation, and also just the, the need for these bigger companies to kind of have content that, that kind of uh, would feed our demographic, right? Which is a big ass demographic. We have a lot of buying power. So take, taking the. Uh, Taking the street cart taco to to the mainstream, to the mainstream, and then having um, what used to be, you know, your poblano father, poblana mother, son, mm -hmm. and maybe a few of their kids that were born in the U.S. working on this street cart somewhere. Yeah, the multi generational turning into uh, now it's like a it's a cart, now it's a car, now it's yeah. a truck. Now it's Vares Cursales. Now it's a couple locations. Now uh, this is now this is what makes us different. We add this to this, that aspect of it. So I, I, yeah, exactly. So a lot of sons and daughters of taqueros 
you know, who grew up in this kind of social media um, age and also probably went to school. Um, and if you didn't hate the fact that you were, you know, cleaning up after your parents' taquerias growing up, and if you kind of owned that, at, you know, the next stage in that was for them to carry the torch. To, tr to turn themselves into the future of that yes. family business, and yes. that would lead in, lead into, well, I'm going to take all my exposition to social media, mm -hmm. online streaming services, mm -hmm. and just culture in it's general. Marketing. Marketing. It's marketing. It's marketing, and it's, it's a way of... of uh, there are some tacos out there that like are very mediocre, but the brand and marketing is so fire that like people become zombies and they just will like form lines to eat it because I'm, there's a line. I'm from, I'm from Tijuana. I have no idea why people have lines outside Tacos El Gordo. The, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the one to say that. Okay, you said that. I can't say that's I, enough from I, here. I I, I, I said I'm from Tijuana. I have no clue why people form lines outside of that place. I'll tell you why. Well, that's that. Okay, I'll go ahead. Las Vegas. Las Vegas. No said. That's that's okay. I get it. I understand. I understand that aspect. Um, Marketing. It's like you know a, a great. I remember you know I used to work at Vice Munchies and it's heyday. Um, and uh, and I remember I'm I'm not gonna say who, but I was interviewing uh, a baker uh, like a bakery that was uh, one of those kind of like made for Instagram bakeries, which is the thing now. You you know I call it stunt food. Mm -hmm. The term for it's like your business model is to literally have like a backdrop with like a neon sign that says something stupid and you take a, a selfie and then people post it and then that's like marketing for it. Yeah. So there was a, there was a, a bakery and he was so candid with me. The shop closed, by the way, um, because it was not genuine at all. But he told me he was like, yeah, you know what? I just I just got this location because it just it's it's a, it looks good. Like it looks good to have a location in this in this part of town, in this part of the world. Tacos Los Gordos is, is exactly that. Yeah. They got their location in Las Vegas. Aside from it being one of the most affordable things to eat there, because Las Vegas gets expensive real quick, yep. um, it's also a business card. It's yeah, like 1,000%. I understand. The, it's interesting. You see the aspect of uh, Tijuana tacos. You talk about in the, uh, the, the children of immigrants becoming entrepreneurs and turning their family's business into a product. Mm -hmm. yeah. We don't have that here, though. Like in, Here in Tijuana, it's usually... You know, there's this, is, this is meme online. You know, there's a car. There's a little dilapidated car, and this is Doctor Jacobo's car. And there's this big ass monster truck. And this is tacos el meño, right? Because that's people will make a killing here if they have good tacos, right? But it's always it's usually this weird insular family business aspect of it here in Mexico that that is apparent, and it's rare to it's. It's more common now, but fairly recently, it's rare to find any of these places that have social media. Like some of the places, yeah, yeah. That, some That's of the places that we went to, yep. it wasn't even purposeful. It was like these are the places that I would go eat to when I would be working here in Tijuana, and I wanted to treat myself to something because life sucks. Mm -hmm. um, but some of these businesses are unchanged. Like I remember, one of them specifically had a Voltron, um, like a Voltron uh, menu, like, a design like a, 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 like a, a design drawing thing of Voltron on the wall that was behind this fridge there, I think, or like around uh, next to this fridge, and it's been there since forever, since Voltron was famous. I guess wow. it was a thing on TV. 
and it just unchanges. It's like a, a an aspect of tacos here on the border that I see uh, versus the L.A., for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Food culture and food trucks and that aspect of it are seeping their way from the north now now mm-hmm. to the south, which is, a, again, yeah. two cities sharing a culture. Um, but uh, most of the legit places here are old, insular. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, don't, they don't appreciate social media. Some of these places they don't even have a sign. There's people's backyard. They don't want the inspection to show up to tell them they can't, can't have a restaurant in their backyard. That's why I love Tijuana so much because it just flies solo. It just flies <laughs> solo and it's, and it's if you know, you know. And that aspect of it, it acts as a as a as almost like a like a taco like safe haven like a haven of tacos here where if you know you know and if you don't then too bad for you let us let the rest of us enjoy it you know yeah. and uh you know i like to think i love to quote um you know uh, the, uh what's his name uh, i love i love the quote that is popular uh by porfirio diaz and it's uh you know so far from god but so close to the us yeah and espanol is Mexico tan lejos de Dios, pero tan cerca de los Estados Unidos. I, I reflect on that quote a lot because if you spend time in Tijuana or navigating between both countries here, um, as you should, if you're, living, if you're living in the U.S. and you have a passport, come to Tijuana, support it, come to Mexico. If, you're, if you pay the exorbitant cost of living in California, come reap the benefits of that. And San Diego South is what they're calling it jokingly now. Really? Yeah. What like, about East Tijuana? East Tijuana is spicy. It's very spicy. But they want to, is it true that they want to branch off and become their own city? Yep. How's it's, that? Do you think that's going to happen? Probably not. Okay. Specifically, it's because of all the uh, high rises are going up all over the city. Traffic is insane here. Traffic uh, is like worse than LA. 90% of all new housing in Tijuana is being bought by Americans. Traffic is insane. Um, cost of living here and quality of living here in Tijuana. And I, this coming from somebody that's experienced uh, quality of living in other parts of the other parts of the United States and Mexico as well, um, there's a lot of things here. You know, there's a lot of things here that provide quality of life. But we're low key. You're low key. Low key. Yeah, low that's, key. That's that, that's the name of the game. It's like keep Tijuana a secret. <laughs> um, the 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 breadbasket of the region is to the east, and the ocean is. Mm-hmm. to the west yeah. and everything's fresh here um, and another interesting aspect I think or an element of what goes into Tijuana's street taco uh, dominance <laughs> is that uh, it is also a place where immig- immigrants will come and try and cross and a lot of those immigrants are usually from parts of the country that uh, thrive on their culinary aspects mm-hmm. poblanos so there's a, so there's a joke here in Tijuana. There's about four or five tacos del poblano. <laughs> Most people from those taco shops are from Puebla. They, they, there's something in those genes. There's something in that culture. I mean, these people will make mole for days. So a street taco they're going to make, you know, it's pretty. It's, it's, it, 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 I've, I've tried to figure out what about it is, makes Tijuana, Tijuana street tacos an experience. I love it. I, I, I tell anyone, and I'm willing to back this up in a dark alley, that Tijuana has the best tacos in all of Mexico, bar none, no comparison. Because of what you said, it's so, like, you know, we have the Pacific Ocean right here, 
If you if you're in Mexico City and you're and you're like at the fanciest, most expensive Mexican restaurant there, and you're having a, a crudo or ceviche or, or sashimi or fish, that fish is gonna be from. You can't see the from ocean. Ensenada. Yeah. Yeah, yeah probably. it's like it's kind of like oh crap okay and then like you know you have that all that access to that here in Tijuana without that kind of douchebaggery of Mexico yeah. City, um, and I just like I just prefer my my like if I if I were to choose one taco that I can eat for the rest of my life, I just love a good taco de asada, mesquite so it's a little smoky it's a little tender and just a thick, unwatered down dab of guacamole, and like a nice salsa de mocajete. That's like. That's like the perfect taco for me. And I know there's like, you know, if you love Al Pastor, sure, Mexico City can claim that. Um, but for me, for an asada, for a fish taco, for mariscos. Yeah. It's, 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 it's the cult. I mean, there's, this is, these are fighting words in Mexico. I'll take it. I'll bring it. These are these like, hey, where are the best tacos and stuff like that. I've, then I traveled all over the country, all the country. Um, I've had amazing food, dude. Seafood in, 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 in Sinaloa. Yeah, seafood in Sinaloa is is uh, holy shit i mean it's it's a dangerous place but fuck it it's worth it you know i remember having uh muertos. i don't know what the fuck they called it like a it's like a varied seafood cocktail based all around this um this giant fucking oyster that they have out there and the guy serving it as a knife that probably was about that big at some point, and now it's worn down to about that <laughs> size. Uh, doesn't have a, f- a pinky finger is gone. Um, all of his table looks like it's made of driftwood, and all of his products are being run over to him by a bunch of kids without shoes, bringing them from the boats. I, that seafood experience was like pretty magical. And one, th- one thing I found out about that experience and an experience I had with you, um, these mystical moments where we find ourselves in places consuming something so absurd. Absurd absurd not because of what it is. I mean, not, I'm not talking about eating panda meat. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about everything that has to be in line and in place for that meal to be even fucking possible. You know, the, bo- the guys working on those boats that went off at three in the morning to mm-hmm. try and find this specific shellfish. Um, the wife of the fisherman going off early into the morning in the market to find the fine cilantro, limon, all of the all of the ingredients around this. Uh, the guy in front of you who learned his trade from his dad, and he learned his trade from his dad, and he learned his trade from that dad, mm-hmm. like all of this. And also having the economic resource as a customer there that is beyond the people that are local there. They can't afford this, that you're this ridiculous cup of the ocean that you're about mm-hmm. to consume. Because you know it's it's, it's an expensive thing, having moments like that intangible. Th- those intangible factors are what makes food so such a mystical and unforgettable experience. Um, if you're, I'm a big supporter, and I think that you should really care about what you eat. Ask questions yeah. about where your food comes from. Um, you know, know the people who make it for you. Know their story. Say buenos dias. Say good morning. You know, we're not, we're not talking about reading the FDA's guidelines. No, we're not talking about. I'm not. You, I'm you, not. I'm not reading. I'm not. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not talking about a you know a two thousand calorie diet that a government tells you to, to to eat as like your standard diet. No, you know, listen to your body. Be in tune with your body. Yeah. It's easy. It's 
it's hard to do that in a in a world where we have so much so much content, so much saturation of just stimulation. But just what is your body like? What do you want to eat that day? Eat whatever you want to eat and do what you got to do to like you know burn it off after like you know, whether mentally or just go for a long walk. I don't know. I I I don't. I think diet is just die with the word T in the end. And I, um, I think I think there's a por- there's a there's a part and again having the experience of being from Mexico and going to the US there's a part in there's a part in the U, in the American experience where food becomes a medication and it's a weird one that i've seen where um a twinkie is a hug mm-hmm. where uh, domino's pizza is a uh, domino's pizza and eating a tub of ice cream is a meme but also a reality for some people mm-hmm. as far as depression. Yeah, it, it takes people back to a, a happy point in their life. Uh, but, but I know exactly what you're talking about. But, yeah. it's like a, but, but the, the medication aspect yes. of it is pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, it's dangerous. You know, it's a dangerous aspect to it. Uh, some, some people go into that like with alcohol, with drugs, whatever. I, the, I think, I think um, with food, though... Um, Specifically, we're talking about Tijuana street food. Uh, the fear of going out, or the uh, you know, you, you, from people that have never been to Tijuana, um, there's no place like it on the planet. Um, it's the most vulgar, it's the most, it's the busy, busiest, busiest border crossings on the planet. Planet, you'll find people from all over the world here. Uh, you'll find poverty, like actual poverty. When I talk about poverty, uh, I think a lot of Americans haven't experienced actual poverty. Like the U.S. as a mm-hmm. whole hasn't really experienced yeah. poverty. Um, I agree with that 100%. 100%. Like, overweight, smart, over, overweight homeless people with smartphones are not poverty. Um, it's just not. No, I, I agree. But when you come to a place like this and you experience the poverty levels here where somebody can murder you for something very minimal, uh, it's, it's scary, I guess. It's scary. Like, um, how do you come overcome some of these fears of mortality when it, when it relates to hey, we're, let's let's go on this taco crawl to Tijuana. You have somebody there in front of you, like me. Like, hey, I don't, I don't. I, all I've heard from Tijuana, about Tijuana has been uh, through the Simpsons and through the the traffic uh, movie. Like, what's wh- what is it? What are you going to tell me about about safety? Like, wh- what is what is your argument uh, when somebody says it's too dangerous? There's all these kind of like, you know, like dumb kind of uh, sayings, right? Like, oh, like the more dangerous the hood, the, more, the better the taco. Um, but I think deeper than that, the way I approach it is just I'm a very dark person. Uh, I just don't show it as much. And I, I contemplate my mortality a lot. And, you know, when I accepted the job to be like the taco scrapper, Netflix taco, for the Chronicle tacos, for the talk, for the talk Chronicles, I found myself going to like remote places all by myself. Yeah, you know, I would go to like Morelia. I would go like, I mean, deep into more, like deep into like some of the places that you know would have encounter some auto defensas and <laughs> and and you know, I'm just I'm just a food guy. I'm just going yeah. there. You know, I try my best. That you know, you told me the best a long time ago. You know, I'm ne- I never fucked anyone else's wife. I don't I don't try to like you know, expose people. I don't, I'm just searching for the best taco possible. Yeah. And my heart is pure. My stomach is hungry. And that is my, I just 
hope for the goddamn best with that. Yeah. That's, and that's usually everybody in all parts of life, right? You're just hoping for the best. But, you know, I contemplate. I'm like, you know, if I were to get killed, fuck it. I'll die for fucking searching for tacos. Like, <laughs> I, I thought about that. Like, you know, you know, shameless plug for our taco safari in Tijuana, uh, which we did you know, with LA Taco. Uh, which is how, you know, how you and I got to know each other at a, at a deeper level. We shared tacos. And, uh, you know, there was that one moment, right? I think there was like a bank robbery or something. Or remember, like, yeah. the cop pulled yeah. up. And we, and we weren't rolling the cameras at then. And the memo, yeah. memo was, damn it. And, like, yesterday morning, I was on my way to uh, Popotla. I, I was on my way to Palais de Tijuana to, uh, to meet a friend to take me to this place called Burritos Chachu. <laughs> if you haven't been, it's, an amazing, it's probably the, some of the best burritos that I've had in Mexico. It's amazing. Um, it's a truck. And on the way there, I was on an Uber. Um, and it was, you know, Tijuana had lots of morning traffic, so the Uber was zipping all around town. And I happened to be driving by, uh, seeing, like, uh, you know, the, the shooting. Of, I, not, I didn't see it, but I saw the formation of, like, people that, that were coming out of their cars. I, I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't know they had like, undercovers here, but they weren't undercover cops. They were escoltas. They were, secure, yeah. they were bodyguards for a shooting that took place yesterday morning. Um, uh, for the uh, bodyguard of the mayor. And I happened to be driving by as, like, uh, you know, unmarked cars, like, started to get out of their cars, take cover behind their cars. And I, and I saw, like, uh, you know, uh, reporters with cameras, like, uh, two blocks away, kind of, like, getting closer, but also, also keeping their distance. And I saw probably, like, 15 or 16 cops. And the Uber driver just happened to be, he told me, he was like, hey, it's a really hot morning. Um, just FYI. Yeah. He kind of, like, warned me. Yeah. Because I guess they had it's base it's baseline, and all these Uber drivers have a phone app, and they're all yes, talking to each other. He, exactly, and he he actually had a he actually had like uh, asked his you know he was like oh yeah ese 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 cuate he knew his number sent him a WhatsApp voicemail I was like hey aquí va a pasar ahorita qué está pasando he didn't respond in time so he was like fuck it I'm just gonna go but I literally saw like the formation of like of like yeah coming like getting out of their cars with fucking big ass AK-47s or something and like. And like taking cover behind their car, and like I saw that they hit was someone bloody um, on like in front of like a, a fuck. And I was like, you know what? If a street bullet were to fucking shoot me, or like kill me right now, I always reflect on like, like what's my life up until this point? Yeah, I'm pretty damn fucking happy with the life I've been living. Yeah, and like yes, I have a lot more to give, but like I'm here. I'm under my own risk. I'm here fucking <laughs> searching the best tacos, teaching a class. Uh, the for, risk and reward. The risk and reward. It's it's fucking worth it, man. As soon as as soon as, as you take that first bite of like glorious mesquite smoky carne, uh, thick guacamole, uh, thick guacamole. Sorry, I don't want to anglicize myself. Um, tortillas, toasty on the mesquite foot and salsa, and you just take that first bite, and then after you go have some a nice craft beer, it's like. It's not worth it, man. I'll be okay. I remember you and I were talking about that aspect of it, risk, and how, you know, going to shady places and having somebody worrying for you at home and having a lot riding on you now mm -hmm. because you're a pro heading up this project. People there are looking to you for leadership. Um, going to a place where some of these things happen regularly, um, feeling kind of unsafe in some of these places. But then... You and me sitting down in somebody's front yard that has a tarp in front of it because they don't want to know what's going on in there. It's tacos. They're fucking making bomb-ass fucking tacos. Uh, we're talking about risk and reward and how Tijuana has gone up and down as far as it being a spicy city. And somebody pulls out a, 
a white truffle from their back. <laughs> not a knife, not a gun. Not a knife, not a gun. Uh, you and me are sitting there, and somebody in your crew... Shout out to Stefan. Stefan is a homie, and he, he was a white truffle connect who, who reverse smuggled a white truffle into Tijuana. We, we were, we were, uh, we were uh, filming for this uh, taco safari, and I took you to a place called Tacos La Guera. And uh, people, people go to the research, find, find that place out. It's, a, it's the chile relleno tacos, tribe tacos... And steak tacos are phenomenal. The tortillas are handmade there. It's an amazing place. It doesn't have social media. It doesn't have a sign. Dude, this is somebody's fucking front yard. It's amazing. Me and you are sitting there. You have gone through more places to train your palate than I have. Um, this is your specialty. I'm in your realm in a way. And somebody pulls out a white truffle. Uh, I don't know where. I think he had just come back from a trip out there or something. That's just the fun, dude. Now he's he's a uh, he. When it's white truffle season, he just like shaves that shit on fucking mac and cheese. <laughs> and I look at you and like, we're like, should we do this? Should we shave this? I don't know, six hundred dollar white truffle. Probably more. This was a, was a beefy boy. It's like six, eight hundred dollars, some somewhere along. So should we shave this on top of these tripe tacos? Because that's what we were eating, tripe, tripa. Bien rada. When I say tripa, I mean... Countessin. Yeah, that's that's exactly Lower intestine, I, I believe, if you're being yeah, specific. Just, just squeeze that fucker out first, clean him. With then, vinegar, hopefully? Cause hopefully. They're, they're, in and of themselves, they are a religious experience to have. Yeah. But sometimes they're a little custardy in a, in a not good way. No, no, no. Sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes they don't squeeze them out, you know. Uh, I still eat it, but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't give a shit. Uh, we're eating this uh, these tribe tacos with this white truffle, and in that moment, I remember talking about this aspect of, you know, I know I'm here to talk about safety and shit like that, but if we get shot right now, this is a pretty good way to go. Yeah, that's what I told you. <laughs> See, it's like it's like you, you know, in Tijuana, it's a little bit more of a in your face. Yeah, to think about these things. In the U.S., it's the same shit. It's just more. It's just more low key because you never know when there's gonna be a mass shooting. Yeah. You know, you can be at a. You can be at a concert. You can be at like a. You know. Horror, 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 and what provides fear is the perspective. Like, like um, I get Americans asking me about. So what is what's it like in uh like, I'm I'm afraid of being drugged in Tulum, <laughs> if I go to a bar or something like that. Well, most of those druggings are usually happening amongst Americans mm -hmm. because. That's how that works usually, and mm -hmm. so don't worry about the cartels in that aspect yeah. of it, right? Um, or hey, I don't, I don't, uh, like, aren't you afraid for your safety in my hometown? Yeah, nah, I'm fine. I know everybody here. Uh, I know what's out of the ordinary here, mm -hmm. so not really. I just don't spend a lot of time here, but that's, I, like, yeah. I try to keep safe. But whatever is there that I go there for is worth it to have that risk there. Um, I don't know, there's this baseline in my mind. If I can find life experience that is worth it, you know, that risk aspect of it. And um, Mexico has some pretty scary things to it. Mm -hmm. The U.S. has school shootings. People going into a supermarket with an AK mm -hmm. for no reason. And live streaming it. Yeah, these are horrible, horrific things. Um, 
you, I always tell people, you have two re, uh, reactions. Uh, there's four types of people in the world. The people that will fight back, the people that will run, the people that will freeze, and the people that will faint. These are usually four mm. the four types of people there are in the world. I was one of the stupid ones that would run towards something or fight back. <laughs> That's what caused a lot of my you know, trauma. Uh, but it also made me risk, that aspect of me, made me risk. And I think a lot of the things that I'm like exposing as far as the good things in life, because uh, my Instagram account is humorous, mm-hmm. it's a personal blog, I talk about some sad mm-hmm. shit, mm-hmm. but a very specific thing that I like exposing is food. You know, this is my morning of food. And I'll take a picture of it, and I'll, I'll try and tag where I got it. Mm-hmm. When I travel, mm-hmm. like, I remember finding this soul food place in the middle of Chattanooga on the side of the road. I was the most Caucasian person in that whole city, probably. It was amazing. Amazing food. All the questions asked. All of the excitement. What should I order? What is this about? Uh, I have that. Uh, I have those experiences regularly, constantly. They make life bearable. Mm-hmm. They make it work. The ritual. The ritual of eating is a primal primary urge to just give your body, uh, you know, sustenance and nutrition. And we're very lucky, extremely lucky that we have, a lot of us have the privilege of uh, choosing, choosing what you want to eat. Yeah. And choosing what you don't want to eat. Yeah. And, um, and, and using food as an expression or as a language. Uh, it says a lot. It says a lot, a, about, lot. It says a lot about you. You, you took me to eat uh, some uh, albondiga de marisco. A camarón. Camarón. Shrimp meatballs for anyone out there. Shrimp meatballs. And I'm from here, and I didn't know that place. But you took me there with an excitement and a joy. And I think the excitement and joy there was because you were going to show me something that I missed. It was like it was the equivalent of going to an Easter egg hunt and stopping and saying, hey, dude, I know you didn't find a lot of eggs. Look at that fucking egg right there. You pick it up. That aspect of it I think is pretty powerful as far as your work, the work you do. Thank you so much. That's been uh, that's been uh, one of my one of the ways that I win people over in their hometowns. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I recognize <laughs> and I understand and I realize that I'm not from Tijuana. I'm an LA dude um, who comes here and has been coming here for what 17 years, 16 years now, learning, eating, never never stopping to learn um, about the tacos here. And to that moment when you know, yes, I was excited to show you. And that's a big risk, right? Because like you could have, it could have sucked, and you probably, and I probably wouldn't be here right now. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it didn't suck, and it was an amazing, nearly religious experience because that albondiga yeah. de camarón is amazing. It's so tender. It's it, just made from pure shrimp and like I think a little bit of bread to hold it together. It was midday. Um, for people from Tijuana that are listening, they'll know that mariscos are more of a breakfast food, mm-hmm. like depending on the type. So like broths. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, albondigas de camarón. Those are those are you can you can you can stretch them into a breakfast, maybe a lunch. Uh, I found it like it's just it's like for my base by base by stomach's baseline, local mm-hmm. baseline. It's exactly what it needed. Yeah, that's that's it's pretty powerful to to be able to communicate with that, and also to have the the interesting uh, urban survival skill of foresight. Research, scouting, uh, not believing the reviews. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think this place had any reviews. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but basically going somewhere and actually risking. The risk is not only in the place, but also in the what you order. Yeah. Yeah. Like for somebody that's never gone to a taco place before, a taco card, first time in Tijuana, you know, like what what are some of the things to know? Um, what's the difference between al pastor and asada? Does the steak have to be complete, or is, can it be, you know, red sauce, green sauce? What's the difference? Like, what are some of these? These are the basic skill sets that you have to have before you get there. I'm I'm probably the wrong person to ask about that because I'm I'm so chill when it comes to like telling people what they should look for because like food is probably the one last thing that we have as humans that we can control and like eat ourselves and figure out how we want to eat it. But if you're looking for like uh for like a, a place that won't disappoint, there are some telltale signs. Um I think the first one is that a crowd, there may be a crowd. You know, look for if there's the people, effort. The effort, yeah. If there's people who are willing to wait in time of their busy day and lose money to wait in specifically line. Specifically locals. Specifically locals, yeah. Specifically local. I mean, sometimes even you know <coughs> Americans too. Um, uh, they, yeah, that's the number one thing. And then secondly, I would say <coughs> if it's only like one location or two or two locations max or three locations, once you start to add volume and scale up to a taqueria, it's really hard to maintain the. The, the quality and the intangible properties of that strain. The intangible initial qualities yes. of a cart that some people pull off. Yeah, some people do. Yeah, some I mean, people, I, yeah but, no shit on that. Yeah, it's, it's, but it usually the ones that pull it off go two or three. Yeah. And that's it. And it's usually people that were basically growing up working at that, the original spot because ingredients are very important for that initial experience in that first tacos part and if it changes in any way it's gone whoever was loyal and something changes they're gone yeah it's it's yeah no again nothing nothing wrong with franchising and you know make money make your money but if you want to keep that romanticness al- yeah. alive it's the, the romantic the, the the first kiss the, the romance the, oh, the, the 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 first uh the first experience the honeymoon period the honeymoon period but it's not even that I've been going to the same taco spot that was the first place I bought a taco for myself my whole life. Uh, Tacos El Poblano Mm -hmm. in La Mesa in Tijuana. That's the best one still to this day. I agree. They are... They are... They've not... They haven't changed in 40 years. More than 40 years now. And the only place, the only thing that changed was where they were. They just crossed the street, you know. Um, the meat is the same. The tortillas are the same. The guacamole is prepared exactly the same way. Everything's exactly the same. Um, I think a lot of, of these businesses that lose that aspect of it when they scale up, I mm-hmm. guess. Uh, but changing anything slightly in a place where people are accustomed to is probably a pretty good way to kind of fuck yourself. <laughs> Yeah, another thing, you know, what, what we've been talking about alluding to is the specialty aspect of, of taquerias or of place. If a place only has one thing on their menu, one carne, one thing, it's most likely probably going to be pretty damn good, yeah. especially in Tijuana or anywhere in Mexico. Um, you know, sometimes even, even in, this, in this case of Las Albondigas de Camarón, that's like their damn name. Their, damn, their name of the business is actually 
las originales albóndigas de camarón. That's in the fucking name. Yeah. So it's like, if you are walking around, driving around, Ubering around, and you see a place that they're named for like, tacos de tripa el huero or some shit, you know, <laughs> stop there. It's probably going to be pretty good. Uh, and it's, 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 inter it's, it's, it's interesting because I, I want to bring up the concept of the, the fallacy of a double standard. Uh, it's a fallacy because, you know, we grew up with a lot of Euro, European, especially in the U.S., we grew up with a lot of, like, European, uh, like, we place value on things from Europe or things from, like, or cuisines from Europe, right? Like, we have no problem going to, like, an Italian restaurant and dropping, like, a hundred bucks if you're, like, on a date for essentially just, like, flour and water and cheese on a pasta. I mean, I love pasta. Don't get me wrong. I've been to Italy. I love pasta all day. But compare that to, like, the way that same person bat an eye to dropping a hundred bucks on, like, Tacos or like or like, like yeah, like a, a birria, like a that was if cooked it, on the ground for yeah, a whole wa fucking day. Wagyu, you know, you can you can get fancy with that shit too. Yeah. And like you know, I I want to say that there is a taco for every occasion in life. Yep. Date night tacos, there is a place and time for them, and I support them. You know, like don't just analyze yourself and where you place value. And if you're willing to only play expensive, like pay like a big bill for like French or Italian food, or like burgers but not for tacos tacos you still want them to be like the same one dollar and 25 cents that they've been since you were a fucking teenager like uh, un no dollar, un dollar por tres en Tijuana. yeah there's like a they're still there i think a, a three for a dollar yeah risky but you know whatever i mean it fills <laughs> you up you know sometimes you need them i get it but like you know yeah, there's, and, there's there's a place there's a place for the yeah i've been to play uh casa placencia used to have i don't know if they'll do um cheek tacos oof dude this little fucking plate, three cheap tacos. And uh, you'd think they were out of place. They're incredible. I mean, uh, usually when you have places that are selling cabeza, mm -hmm. beef-fed places, we, we found one in, uh, on the side of the road in Guadalajara once. It was a, a Mexican that went to Texas to try and figure out the American dream, figure it out it wasn't for him, and he came back and brought back with him Barbecue technology and smokers. Whoa. And combine that with cabeza. That sounds incredible. Dude, it was a religious experience. I'll post a picture of it, a uh, video of it, I guess. I have some video. But the first thing that always ran out, cachete. Cachete. I mean, it's, always, it's lengua first and then cachete. No. Oh, no? No, 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 no. It's, for me, it's cheek first and then the lengua. Uh, and for him, in most places that I've been to, like it's there's not a lot of cheek, so it goes by fast. And cheek will turn into lip and cheek. Usually well, yeah, cheek I, goes away. I tell people, I tell people, labio is a new lengua. Yeah, because lengua shot up in price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It got so expensive; it became like a luxury <clears throat> ingredient. Whereas, like the next cut over, which is beef lips, if you were to do a blind taste test and give someone a taco de lengua and a taco de labio. They probably would not be able to tell the difference. It's I'd very similar in texture. I'd say cheek, in my, um, for my just growing up and just here in Mexico, cheek, lip, and tongue is the order. I don't know. So like what we're talking about is our tacos al vapor or, or tacos it, de cabeza. It's basically a, a steamed beef head. Yes. And the ways they steam it vary. I mean, some it's, of, it's just steamed. I mean, oh yeah, they they barbecued it and the, they smoked the, it. Smoked. That was that's freaking barbecue cool. smoke. That's unique though. That's that's yeah. That's a unique thing. But usually. If you go to a taco place, 
and there's a big tarp over some of like an unknown thing there, and it kind of looks like a beef head. It's probably a giant cow I, head. I think uh, I, I describe Tacos de Cabeza as like the final boss of tacos. Once you arrive there, they're probably going to be one of your favorite tacos. Yeah. And if you tell me, if I meet you, you in this, if I meet you and you tell me, like, and I ask, hey, like, what are your favorite tacos? And you say tacos de cabeza, I'm like, ah, okay. Yeah, you, you can't start there. You can't start there with somebody. You, you can't, can't start You can't there. start there with somebody. Unless. And, like, it's a perfect food. It's There's steam, so there's no fat. Yeah. It's just literally just steamed beef cheek, um, steamed tortillas. Yep. And also just salsa verde. Yep. And that limon maybe and a little agua fresca, but, like, all of it is it's all a, of it is great. It's no fat. It's like <laughs> just collagen, maybe just natural, like you know, bovine fat, but it's still like your know, tallow or whatever. But it's it's just no, it's just steamed beautiful beef with steamed tortillas, and you can, that's a kind of taco that you can eat every day. And but, like, but for some reason, it is far from the Western. Oh yeah, palate. It's like wait, look at that. But you can see its eyes. Doesn't it makes it better? Just chop it up. Just chop chop it up. the eyes. Well, you know, I always for me, I whenever I'm in Mexico for a long time, I miss pho. Pho for me is a religious experience. I've cried over a bowl, a bowl, a bowl of pho. I've, I, caldo, um, and like just nice, you know, caldos, I mean, tacos de cabeza are like, if you like beef in that deep way, like you love pho, tacos de cabeza, you will love tacos yeah. de cabeza. For the yeah. same kind of like, yeah. it satisfies the same kind of like, it's steamy, there's, there's smokestacks, the taquero is just like chopping it up and it's just, you can just dangerously eat like nine of them like so easy because they're so, they just melt in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 that's the other aspect of Mexico has such a, such, such a varied there's taco de canasta there's uh, there's, there's all sorts of variations uh, steam tacos tacos a vapor uh, like you'll you'll find them everywhere in the corners yeah. here Every, uh, basically it's uh, they make the tacos out of either meat potato or another just simple ingredients and they'll drop some steaming water inside of the case where they where they uh, have them so wrap them and off they go. Uh, that was a canasta. Those are the yeah. There's yeah. There's there's, there's tacos are so beautiful. They're a beautiful thing, and I'm glad that they're getting the respect they deserve finally. Yeah. And this this uh. There was a time that I when I was growing up where it was like uh me vas a llevar los tacos. Yeah. Like girls growing like, you're gonna take me to tacos. Uh, um, locals. You mm-hmm. know, ah, take me to this restaurant. Take take me to eat Italian or something like Alitas. that. Alitas. Alitas. Yeah, take me to Fridays. <laughs> take me to Fridays. See, again, going back to the quote, so far from God, but so close to the U.S. Because the, yeah. the American kind of luxury, like mediocre-ass American luxury, arrives to Mexico, and it's a new thing here, and they're like, oh, yeah, I have money, I want to go eat it. Dude, Carl's Jr., holy shit. But it's so bad. It is. But it's just like status, right? It's status and, and, and American convenience that you... Work your way up to if you make pesos and you're like I can afford this. Yeah, I can take my yeah. I can take my girl there. Yeah, yeah. But but it's interesting how it's come full circle and it's it's uh, tacos are becoming this uh, the staple food again and and, and not, not again. There 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 there's uh, room for different uh, expensive ass tacos. You know, there's the classic street uh, taco. Uh, seafood tacos mm-hmm. you can go to Ensenada and get some shrimp and fish uh, tacos that are like fire at a very specific cart um, which one uh, talk about that later I don't want to give my spaces anymore <laughs> we'll right, talk about right. that we'll, 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 we'll save that for uh, like a, a safari I guess okay. uh, but it's a there's a there's a there's places that are very specific for very specific things mm-hmm. and I think all of them culturally now which, it, which is funny, sad in a way, but also, I mean, if that's what it took, 
seeing our food on Netflix from the perspective of somebody that is outside of it in a way and basically having somebody not from here tell us how beautiful and good it is. I'm just glad that it was a, a Mexican director did that and I was and I had a privilege of doing that and not just like and not like a, a white person to kind of do like the white savior. I, I appreciate that aspect of it. It's beautiful, but it's still it was still it was still a product presented to us from far away. Yeah. yeah you know, 100%. which is I, I don't know, I, it's it's we're we're not we're not uh, we're not good at loving ourselves in Mexico, I guess, and yeah. seeing some of the uh, some of the love culture and interest shown from external sources makes us kind of look back at it in 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 a, in a, in, a, in a different way, I guess. And it's so sad because you know yes, it's so hard to love ourselves here in Mexico as Mexicans, but some of the biggest economies in Mexico are you know, tourists that come here and love themselves a lot. Yeah. They'll come here, they'll get plastic surgery, they'll get massages, they'll, because they can't afford that stuff back home, so they'll come here and they, you know, the term self-care, right? Yeah. And they, like... I, again, foreign alien terms to me. Uh, self-care. Uh, self-abuse. Self-abuse. Uh, what, do you mean day drinking? Is that self-abuse? I don't know. What that <laughs> um, the... Um, yeah, the, the work you do, it's pretty interesting. The, the, just the, I don't think, I don't think people can appreciate or you can appreciate that aspect of you having to basically go out somewhere, a risk, and then try and paint a picture to text and video to somebody of what that experience is like. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I saw you attempting uh, some of it as, as you were filming the, uh, the, the short series we did. And I appreciated the fuck out of it, but I can't fucking do that shit. Um, but uh, the ability to bring somebody with you when they're not there, and to and to implant the idea in somebody's mind, hey, maybe I will go to TJ tomorrow, and I'll figure out this weird fucking backyard taco place. If I get if I get one person to do that, which I, I I've had people reach out and they have come here and they thank me, uh, like that's mission accomplished. Yeah, mission accomplished. That's. You know, the only way that you're going to win people over is by showing, showing them that they can do it too and to humanize Tijuana, humanize all these taqueros and taqueras that put in so much backbreaking work every single day. Three in the morning. Take no vacation. At least. Love working. They just, they provide they joy on tortillas. They make your morning. They make your day. Um, and the memories that they make. Yeah. That's like a, you talk about people willing to drop $100 on a plate in an Italian restaurant or more. And uh, you never hear about those stories when you're getting drunk and laughing somewhere or smoking weed with your friends about this fun time at this Italian restaurant. But you usually hear the stories of this taco place where the cops showed up uh, or where this, uh, I don't know, some weird shit happened, a bunch of street dogs outside and you wanted to steal one in Baja to bring it with you back to the U.S. Whatever it is, I always find it fascinating that the, I mean, the quality of the food doesn't necessarily necessarily relate to the quality of the memory that will produce for people. Yeah, it's actually the opposite. You know, most of the uh, most of the, the 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 amazing memories are related to food or around food are usually in some of these places, backyards, uh, street corners, soul food places in the middle of Chattanooga. <laughs> you know, and these are it, the spots. And the, you know, and talking about like 
you know, the people around these places. Like, I, one aspect that I love about, you know, uh, I call it, I mean, we call it at the publication that I, I'm the editor for, uh, we call it the taco life. The taco life. And the, one of the qualities that I love best about the taco life is that, like, if a friend shows you a spot, a new spot, a new taqueria, a new taco stand, a new puesto, a new restaurant that's, that does tacos, that place is always going to remind you of that person. Yeah, it's attached. It's attached to that person. So even though like it has like a, like that place is named something else, like you know your producer here who took you to the beach spot earlier today, no matter what happens in your life, you, yeah. know, you, you guys may have a fallout and fucking hate each other. Yeah. But every single time you go back, you're, you're going to think of him. Yeah. It's, it's always, I, I, whenever I go to a place like that and say, like, Avi showed me this place, I'm always like, yeah. fuck. Was Cosby? I never came here, and fucking Avi had to show me this. Yeah, place. and I'm sure same thing with you know this fucking bocho kid from East LA that that took you to that. Like, like, I, I, one thing is like I'm my own spot, you know. I always appreciate it. I always appreciate people showing me places like that. Like to me, every time I travel, and I'm in a different state every week usually. Mm-hmm. So I was in te- I was in Dallas a few weeks back. I'm about to go to New York, uh, and I'm always going to places, and I always get bombarded with, you should try these tacos. You should try those tacos. You should go here. You should go there. There's so many bad ones, bro. Look, I don't know. I'm scared. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Legit, man. Uh, I've experienced Tex-Mex, and it's it's scary. You know? I'm afraid. Um, For somebody, and we're going to go into lists. (laughs) If somebody listening to this right now... um, who say, you know what, I'm going to try and figure this taco thing out. Um, I have not encountered anywhere in the United States like Los Angeles. Maybe, maybe certain parts of, (sighs) all in California, all in California. But I've never encountered a place like L.A. that has so many of my fellow Mexicans living in it. Not only living in it, but also creating these culinary portals back to their places of origin. Where uh, I remember somebody took me to a place in Compton. And it was a taco spot. And I was like, you got to try these tacos. The Poblano. These are like Tijuana style. Bull fucking shit. I got there. The dude that owns it, he's on Instagram at Taquerillo. Oh, on yeah. Like I said, fucker, I know you. You used to work at these tacos in Por Via Rapia. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy shit. You were like, give me some of them. Let me try. Fucking yeah. Fucking A. Great. Great fucking tacos. Um, LA is a weird place. It's a place where the ingredient aspect of it is also there. It's near a bunch of bread baskets. It's near a bunch of ports of entry. Ingredients are there. Uh, it's a place where, yes, there are, you know, issues. You know, skid row, mm-hmm. homeless people running around everywhere. But that's also a sign of a permissive culture and society. And yes, bad things come with it, but also experiments come with it. Uh, freedom of having people selling fruit on the side of the road corner comes with it as well. Uh, there's a few positives that come with it. Um, for somebody looking to go to LA, like what would your recommendations be as a, as a place to go to 
experience things right now. And how it changes constantly because we change and the world changes. But if you had a list that, that you could share with us right now, what would that be? So the first question that I ask back when people ask me, what's your favorite taco in LA or where would you go? I always ask them, first of all, is it daytime or nighttime? Yeah. Because that's, that's a huge... That's a, be- that's a beautiful clarification. Yeah. Because breakfast tacos and fucking lunch dinner is a yep. completely different thing. So beautiful. If, uh, if you're only, if you're there visiting or if you live there, um, you probably know about it, but it's it's uh, if you only had one kind of uh, destination to hit, I would go to Mariscos Jalisco. Mariscos Jalisco. On the original location, it's a truck on Olympic Boulevard. They are a breakfast and lunch taco. I think they open at nine and they open till till five. The reason why I would go there because I think that is a perfect taco that shows so much about what the taco is. Um, and as soon as you, as, you, as soon as you, as you take that first bite, it's not just history and. It's just like, it's a mad, if you like shrimp, it's a taco dorado de camarón, estilo San Juan de los Lagos um, in the highlands of Jalisco. The owner is Raul, um, but he's been named best taco in LA for like multiple, many years um, because I think it's so, it's a, it just signifies, it summarizes the LA Mexican experience so well. Here's an immigrant from the highlands of Jalisco that came to LA, opened up this uh, you know, taco truck and it has, a fried shrimp taco. So if you like taquitos, if you like like flautas, this is or like a taco de papa, like a, a fried crispy potato taco. This is kind of like that, but it has like chopped up shrimp and a super secret mix of vegetables and things that he will not tell anyone. I've known him for a long time. Um, and he, it's a super secret mishmash. And it has a refreshing salsa um, of like, you know, kind of like a cool watery tomato with like chopped up cabbage and a buttery slice of avocado. <sighs> it's affordable as hell. It's just, it's refreshing, but also indulgent because it kind of has, it kind of satisfies both ceviche and a taco kind of cream. Yeah, because of the, uh, the starchiness. It doesn't, it doesn't taste, it's fried, but it doesn't, it doesn't taste fried because it has so much of this, so, much, so many fresh components to it. And it's a good example of how like a taco tastes better in LA than it does in Mexico. Yeah. That taco, like you said, if you don't, if you can't see the ocean, run for the hills in terms of seafood. San Juan de los Lagos is inland as hell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's beautiful. There's like, there's seas of blue agave. But yeah. there's not seas of ocean. There's not ocean. <laughs> so uh, that taco, because LA, you're much closer to the water. You had, that's a delicious taco. And also, if you're there, you can walk to Tacos y Birria La Unica, which is the, the truck next door um, for like uh, Puebla style uh, birria de, de, de Chivo. There's also Burritos La Palma, which is across the street. So you can do like a little, you can arm yourself a good little a progressive walking taco crawl if you stop at this truck. Um, now, if you're like a little bit higher level and you're down for your shit, I will go, like you said, to go to Compton. Um, uh, if there's one taco there um, that uh, I think is really magical. Going back to our conversation about tacos al vapor, they have an asada, but it's like grilled first and then they steam it. Okay. So you get like that smokiness, but you, also, you, get, you get like that butteriness from like just like steamed beef. It's almost it's, like a guisado. It's like no, a, it's not guisado. It's just like it's just like it's like a it's like gr- it's like mesquite grilled chop. Like, do they know. put it in a pot after they chop? They, they grill it, they chop it, and then they put it in a pot. They kind of like squeeze it and then they steam it. Yeah. So it's like a almost like like a this of no, it's like it's like weird. It's really unique, and I haven't seen that style anywhere else. That, that's an LA thing. So if I'm gonna tell you to go to LA and have these tacos, I'm telling you this list because they're tacos that they're unique there. They're unique to LA. You know, you can come to Mexico and have like much better tacos, and you know, if, in terms of their respective nah, regions, this, like with the experience. But of, LA tacos, having, yeah, LA tacos. You know, that, it's a the 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 the, the, the guy from Tijuana, uh, the 
the ocean is not anywhere. It's basically Tony Stark building his armor in a cave versus building it next to a fucking, I don't know, somewhere yeah. in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Having the ingredients nearby, having, I don't know, again, a lot of these places, a very key component of these spots is where they are because that allows them to get ingredients, yeah. uh, that allows them to just do their thing. Um, so, so That place is called uh, El Cachetón. El Cachetón. It's in Compton. It's a truck. And they're Nayarit style. Nayarit style. It's a really tacos, unique. Tacos El Cachetón. El Cachetón. They're Compton. amazing. And they have an amazing habanero salsa that if you like heat, it's beautiful. So, yeah. uh, and last but not least, um, I would argue that the best overall, like if I had to choose just one taqueria in L.A., if you only had time for one taqueria in L.A., Sonora Town. Sonora, Sonora Town. Town in downtown. Um, now she has a location in West Adams, no, in, in Mid-City. That's that's amazing, but um, yeah, th that's a story of uh, if you know, you know. Yes, Tijuana has amazing tacos. If there was like a close second, I would definitely say it's like Hermosillo or like San, yeah, or, Sonora, or, San, or Sonora anywhere else. Sonora, it's, it's the uh, for me for me it's a uh, for me in Hermosillo, San Luis San Luis Rio Colorado también. San Luis Rio Colorado, it's a meat there. It's, it's beautiful. It's a great meat. Like it's the best. It's people, the best meat. In, people in, in Mexico. Mexican in Sonora, Mexican people in Sonora. They don't just go to the carniceria and buy whatever meat. They're literally loyal to like their farms. Yeah. They have like specific farms and they have, they call them meat boutiques. And you go there and people are not afraid of spending money on good carne, yeah. which is yeah. a beautiful thing because it's a. It, even their, uh, their jerky, their Mexican yeah, like cecina. Yeah. Like I would, I used to be paid with bricks of cecina, like from a friend of mine would like, hey, are you going to the US? Yeah. Bring me back some vans. Oh, cool. And where you bring me back some fucking cecina, some coyotas, oh, yeah. and some uh, sonora, some bacanora. Yeah. <laughs> so Sonora Town makes their own handmade flour tortillas. Um, they make them with lard, and they're, uh, she really prides herself. Her name is Jen Feltham, and uh, her partner is Del Diaz, and he's from uh, from from San Luis Colorado. So there, that's like the story of a San Luis Colorado style taqueria that opened up in L.A. and they do rib costilla, yeah, tacos, yeah. tacos de costilla, which yeah. is no, you say yeah, but it's hard to find in you know, It's hard to I've find never in the US. Seen, I've never seen a place offer uh, taco Ta de costilla. Taco de costilla for you, if you don't know, it's, a, it's essentially a, it's a better version of, the, of the carne asada. It's, it's closer to the bone. Um, yeah. It's much more flavorful. and, ch and It's delicious. the bone is there, so the bone will give all of its fucking flavor. It's amazing. Um, yeah, so I would say those three. And if you want mariscos, because, you know, well, a lot of people don't know, but uh, L.A. also has a capital of marisco culture. Just as much as there are good tacos, there are as much good mariscos there. Yeah. Um, there's a guy in the backyard that uh, that <laughs> I like I like I like how it all comes down to a guy in his front yard or his backyard. He's yeah. a badass motherfucker from Sinaloa. Who of course? Who he's just like, like you can tell like he's been through some shit to get to where he's at right now. But the way he handles a knife and just like butterfly shrimp and. He has a chicharron de pescado. Um, he has like a. If you that's another thing that I don't see a lot. I don't see a lot out of it out there. Chicharron de pescado. Yeah, it's it's basically fish skin pork rinds. Yeah, it's it's like it's it's fish treated like pork rinds. So yeah. it's just like hard fried, like uh, fish that yeah. is just. Deep, the, this, um, this is very common in certain bars in Mexico. Like there was a very infamous watering hole in Tijuana that we would go to that didn't have a sign. And their main thing that would bring out for us was cucarachas, which is uh, 
uh, dried, not dried, yeah. exactly uh, fried like shrimp with hard the, fried shrimp, yeah, yeah, shell on and and some weird something on there, and chicharrón pescado and our fucking kawamas. Ah, uh, that's it, it, it's all seen a lot, and and then they would end it up with a uh, aguachile. That's a perfect meal. That's a perfect meal. Like I, I don't care who you are. But it's it's a it's a Sinaloa thing though. It's and it's interesting that, that that of course like when you said Sinaloa when the guys from Sinaloa, that's that's their thing. Yeah. That's their the mariscos seafood. That's their. But thing. they're such gangsters about it. Like they don't they don't even like they're not sh- like they will they will drop money on their own food, which I love. Yeah. Like it's hard to find. It's 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 a gangster thing to go and celebrate at a marisqueria place yeah. in Mexico. Like Tijuana has a had a, has a few very infamous ones, and Negro Durazo, which is named after one of the most corrupt cops in Mexican history. Uh, it's it's a seafood place, but it's the tradition there. It's it was música de banda, like a Sinaloa thing, and Sinaloa style seafood, and you'll go there and drop money more than some of the fucking. Mm-hmm. Five star restaurants here in Tijuana. Oh yeah, I mean this is this this is there's no joke the amount of money people are dropping some of these places, and the way they express um, status yeah. through the more the more the more callos de hacha you can afford the better you're doing in life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and callos de hacha being uh, pencho clams, they're scallop like uh, seafood. It's a scallop like seafood that is very um, coveted, expensive, a very expensive. There's an underground network. <laughs> Uh, DIY importing to LA, and um, it's uh, I'm sure you saw that headline two weeks ago. I think there was a it's such a coveted thing. Also, in, in a, if you live in like Sonoran, kind of like by a coast that has because um, you the has you have to go you have to essentially free dive. And I, I don't know if you saw the headline of a diver that got like his head yeah. his head like uh, like instantly uh, decapitated because he was out diving for these pencho clams, um, dacha, and uh, and a shark just came in. Yeah. Fucking ate them. Yeah. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> you know, so if you're having ceviche, always remember that there's a diver out there <laughs> that fucking is risking his life to fucking get you your fucking $60 per kilo, um, you know, guy has that shower. But it's probably even more, to be honest now. Yeah, yeah. It's probably like 100 or t- like It's probably like 120 bucks. If you're at a restaurant and you get like a botana de calle de hacha. That's, a, that's another aspect of shit here in Mexico. And, he, and I, so Abby, Abby had a little bit more. He's older than I am. Abby. Did you get to experience uh, like uh, kawama? Yeah. Like, so sea turtle. Oh yeah. Sea turtle being sold like the like the place we went yeah, to. Yeah. Uh, sea turtle being sold in the broth on the street, like on a street uh, side, like in the nineties in Tijuana, and they had the uh, turtle shells as decorations for this. What does it taste like? I I haven't tried turtle. Um, it, there there is a reason. Why they almost hunted those things to extinction? They are fucking delicious. But like, what would you compare it to? Uh, it is a very fatty. Oh god, I don't. Is it like? What seaf- is, does it what, have like what, that, is, what, what, what does it taste like? It. Does it have that seafood like funk? It, it it is. It does have a little bit of that, but it's fatty though. It's fat. It's like a fatty meat. To it. So is that why? Is that why? For example, I, I will shout out um, El Cajua del Yello. Um, you know, I know that they have uh, aleta de atún in mm-hmm. the in the broth. Yeah, which is also car- very fatty. It was it's, that it's, kind it's, of like it's a, it's a fat surrounding the that, cartilage. Is that, I wonder if that was meant to replicate the yes. kind of texture. Yes. Of that. So here, they used to have carts with the kawama, uh, sea turtle, 
And then they turn into kawamanta, which is manta ray fins being put into the yeah. broth. Manta ray is good too. Manta is good, like but it's not the same. It's not the same. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the whole that's the, the shady, illegal aspect of Mexican, specifically Tijuana cuisine, because there's still places here where there's like backroom shit. We're like, hey, do you want some of this expensive broth? You know. Still uh, having uh, abalone, canned abalone, oh yeah, trafficked uh, basically or uses currency in certain parts of uh, Baja. I mean, a can of abalone right now is what like fifty bucks for a canned abalone if you if you get lucky. Well, you know, like a, the like a stack of like five of these cans like this. I remember, like on the side of the road. That's why you know, I, one of my tacos, one of my favorite tacos in Tijuana is actually an, an ex, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of an extinct uh, taco, um, mm-hmm. but. I know one place that still has it is the chorizo de abulón. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chorizo de abulón. Um, chorizo, you know, uh, most people in the U.S. Uh, know it as like only being made from pork or beef or <laughs> soy now, I guess. Yeah, the soy chorizo. Soy chorizo, which is not that bad. The shots are, I mean, it's cool. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, in Tijuana, uh, I, well, the story that was told to me was that before refrigeration as a way to, to preserve abalone, you would just make it into a chorizo because you just yeah. add a bunch of vinegar and, and chiles and you preserve it, you preserve it that way. Um, and that, that was before abalone became like a extremely luxury coveted like you know Chinese like uh, you know opulence food yeah um, so there's this place La Carencia uh, it's a fa- old school fancy place um, still affordable it's, 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 it's affordable it's beautiful affordable. it's a great place to, t- to, yeah. to, to go and eat with family or a date yeah that chef, that chef also uh, he trademarked or like I think he was one of the earliest pioneers of using the word Baja Mediterranean food Bahamed. Bahamed. Um, so that restaurant, that's probably one of my, like if I had to choose like my top restaurants in Tijuana, that's definitely. That's, a, that's, a, that's a pretty. It's a classic. That's a, it's been there. It's a classic, years. a beautiful choice. Um, and, but chorizo and along Baja, Baja Sur and Baja, I've had like, I mean, uh, seasonal chorizo. Because again, you know, some, you're, you're by the ocean and, you know, you could only eat like snail and fish so much in ceviche form or in raw form or filet form, so you get creative and you just create chorizos out of them. Yeah. But like people don't know that. People in the U.S. think that it's just like, a, but that's like the beauty of Baja. It's so underrated, yeah. um, if, unless you know. If you know, yeah, you know. If you know, you know. Uh, the what about a list for people coming to Tijuana? Uh, like I, I, I've already given you mine, and we, if people want to go on YouTube, uh, LA Taco did this series called uh, the Taco Chronicles, and I basically took them around. Some of the local spots, all of the, the spots we hit up were local, except one of them uh, where, that, that you you were the one that took me to that spot, which was fucking fire. Um, but all the ones that I that I took people to were ones that I recommend, ones that have uh, I've been going through for years uh, that I took in, that I've taken places, uh, they've taken people to that I love, uh, that have taken people that I had to have horrible conversations with. You know, these are places. All these places have like a history with me. Uh, what's your list? Uh, people coming to Tijuana, parking their car before they cross, <laughs> and walking down. What's your list? So I actually do this. I've actually, I used to bring people to Tijuana, like kind of high-profile people, um, to Tijuana to just show them the power of Tijuana. I really love the city, and you know, I'm always gonna champion it. And so I've come up with a short list of places that you can take people who may be scared of Tijuana or may not believe that Tijuana is a food juggernaut in Mexico's food scene. Um, so I have like a short list of places that will, that will change someone's mind about Tijuana. Um, so it's, uh, 
You were, the first one is like in you know, that place that we talked about earlier. It's called Las Originales Albondigas de Camarón. Yeah, yeah. It's a that that albondiga has so much finesse. Like if you're being like a chef or someone, and they're gonna be like, "Whoa, like this is like so tender and so like it's, it's like perfect. it's almost again like again thinking about like uh, context and double standards. Uh, in French culture, there's in French cuisine, there's a quenelle, which is essentially a seafood dumpling, a fish dumpling, and this is like a fucking Mexican quenelle. But yeah, like because yeah. it's, it's called like an, an albondiga, people don't like appreciate that. But this thing is you eat it and you're like this is special it's so that place is special um la Querencia, which we talked about earlier that's yeah. a nice that's, that, if that, you <clears throat> if you only come for like whether you know with your family or with your with your wife or partner and you only come to one restaurant i would go to la Querencia. okay it's it's a world fucking class culinary experience uh the ingredients the place everything is top quality i like i'm i, I like that's a place where i celebrate yeah, uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, and it's also uh, their chicharrón de pulpo, with like made with baja olive oil, and it's like flambe tableside. Everything's it's, from the everything's from a few hours away. Yeah. yeah, and like just know that like if you were eating this food in Mexico City, you would probably be spending twice or three times as much. Three money. times, probably three times easily. Easily again, but we don't realize these things because you grew up, you normalize. Yeah, this how is, cool this is. Yeah, this is uh, the the the. I had this experience of explaining somebody to somebody from uh, Maine. What Baja lobster was? Oh yeah, no claws here. <laughs> you know, ah, like, oh, but but what about did, did you steam them? Like no, <laughs> no, they're fried in lard. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, it's a normal normalcy thing. You know, it's it, we we don't it's again we don't appreciate shit because it's our baseline until until we experience it through others. Mm-hmm. I guess yeah, which is yeah. A, another beautiful aspect of food that you can share yeah. with others. Um, Which is also another weird aspect of humans. Yeah, we're among the only fucking living beings on the planet that'll feed each other and share food. That's not a common thing, actually. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We have we have evolved in a in that way. Um, tacos fitos, fitos tacos. I again, I'm thinking. I'm I'm just these, this list is like entry level for people to just give Tijuana a shot and like the. If you're happy to get lucky when a taquero's there who's like kind of slinging the salsa ass and kind of like he's so freaking fast. Yeah. He's like, he's like hype. It's like if you press fast forward on someone on a video, um, you know, he's so tacos fitos. And also get the campechano, like the mixto one. It's like, get a little bit of half tripa dorada and also half beef. That tripa dorada will come, it's a good entry point to the, to, dude, to, that, to the joys of tripa. Dude, that's, that's a master level shit. No, campechano. Yeah. Yeah. Campechano uh, basically means mixed. Yeah. Campechaneando. It's and then after that, you know, you can kind of, uh, you know, uh, roam around the Mercado Hidalgo next door, you know, buy, buy something nice for your people that, you know, are back home. You can bring them back a cheese, some tostadas, some candies, some honey, whatever. Um, so that's a good destination. I also um, will recommend Caesars Hotel because one of my favorite things is just telling people that Caesar salad is, Mexi- is Mexican food. It is for for me, it's like double that because it's from my hometown, right? Yeah, it's like I can a, imagine. It's like a stupid thing. Did you know that the Caesar salad was invented in my hometown of yeah, Tijuana? Like, no way! Yeah, look it up. Holy, there's always this mind blowing conversation. Also, about I uh, it. but it's a it's a it's a physical hotel and restaurant right on Revolución that you can go to. Yeah, and They'll make you a fucking Caesar salad. And it's excellent. It is 
they'll make it right there for dressing you. from scratch. It's it's amazing. It's uh, it's 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 it's, 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 a, it's the only place where I've gone specifically to have a salad, which is kind of funny to say. Yeah, no, it's 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 an amazing, and it's also that that restaurant has been masterfully masterfully uh, uh, re the redesign. Oh, like it's been it's been it's been preserved by you know Javier Placencia, my tocayo, who uh, he's a homie of mine, um, and I'm he actually just did a class uh, like he did a lecture for me from my students and. Did you know that the actually Caesar Cardini, um, the reason why he left the the romaine whole was because he liked to eat with his hands. So a Caesar salad is meant to be eaten with your hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so this place is a good. You know, I, I, uh, I'm lucky again. I I married someone from Mexico, and I've known that like you know, cartel culture is somewhat recent in Mexican history. It, it is. It is a phenomenon that has been going on since. It, that it going on in a strong way probably since the late 70s yeah and in a big way since the 90s but before that before that you know like people don't understand that Tijuana was like Las Vegas yeah it was you know during prohibition when you couldn't drink alcohol in in the US people would just like mosey on Ve- over this is Vegas and fucking have margaritas and fucking have the times of their life and uh and Cap- uh, Al Capone owned bars yeah. here and uh, so Caesar's hotel ran restaurant is literally a portal into that time zone, yeah. into that, into that, 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 that age, and that, that time span, uh, everything from like you know the Art Deco to like the the brass, like like the wrought iron. It's it's just a it's been beautifully restored by Blasencia and his team, and uh, his servers are having making a Caesar salad for thirty fucking years of your life. Imagine he w- he was telling me that they go through like like uh, five hundred Caesar salads a day yeah. on weekends. Yeah, and yeah. you know like someone who's made something and, and everything's prepared. Right there. Yeah, it's fresh. Yeah. Also, they have really good uh, uh, sopes de tuetano, um, like uh, bone, yes. bo- bone marrow sopes. Bone, bo- yeah, bone marrow. Yeah, so you, can, you can go there, get a nice bottle of wine, um, have yourself your fancy Caesar salad and your sope and just feel really fancy in Tijuana. And, yeah. Uh, and, 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 rem- and there's a beautiful mural. Revol- en revolution. There's a beautiful mural. Look for it next time you're there. I, I, I don't know who the artist is, but it was a, it's a beautiful mural. It's probably like the size of like the whole wall. And it's just like a, it's a, it's a, it's a, an ode to like the flapper era of Tijuana, where there's a, where there was all these like women and just men that would come and like have a genuine good time. And it was like, I, like the glory days of Tijuana, yeah. I would say, you know, it was like a, now Revolución is a, is a shell of that. Yeah. Uh, but it's coming back slowly. It's, it's, it's coming back as a local space. Yeah. Which is a beautiful thing. You don't, which is you, a beautiful, it's a beautiful, want, it's, when, and when I say local space, I think Revolución is a pretty good sign. That eventually that fucking border wall won't mean anything anymore. Uh, when I say locals, I mean Americans that are living in Tijuana, and Tijuanans that are living in Tijuana, and there's no difference really there. We're on the same level, which I think it's a pretty interesting sign of things to come. And uh, so he also has a cevicheria called Cevicheria Erizo Placencia um, in Lacacho. Again, this list is meant to like break people out of their of their expectations of Tijuana. Yeah. That they just think that Tijuana is some kind of just poor border city that where humans end up at like a like a black hole of humanity. That people just it, it is it is that too. It is that for some people. Yes. Tijuana is a lot of things for a lot of people. Yeah. For me it's a hometown. It is a place that I fought and bled for. It is the home of the best tacos on the planet. Yes. It is a place of adventure. It is a place where you know you can 
you know, you can go down the street and meet some people from Haiti, and then you go further down the street and you meet some people from Greece that have been living here their whole lives. I'm the, we're going to publish a story. There's a, there's a mosque in Playa de Tijuana, and there's a, 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 a Egyptian uh, birriero there who makes birria out of, like, halal lamb. And it's it's a it's it's delicious. Yeah, yeah, that's, I have to experience. That. It's amazing, and uh, you know. So, uh, anyways, see, again, Tijuana is a complex place, but uh, we also talked about um, uh, the, uh, about tacos del poblano in la mesa, mm -hmm. which take an Uber, drive a little farther, it's worth it. It's, it is. It is. Frank is cool, but the, the tacos del poblano is like that's when I when I think about Tijuana street tacos, that is like the yeah. ba that's yeah, a baseline. And it's it's an instant hit. It's an instant hit. You you can take anyone who eats meat, and they're gonna be blown away. Yeah. And it's like you said, it hasn't changed in flavor in like forty years. Yeah. They're it's open from eight a.m. to like four, midnight or four, two a.m. or something. Four in the morning at sometimes. They have like three shifts of taqueros just making goddamn carnasada. Yeah. For every now every and then, single day. Every now and then, the people will go there. They'll see a guy with a bunch of tattoos on his arm. Uh, that he's the head, he's like the head guy. Oh uh, yeah. Always tip. Always tip. Good to know. You always tip, and you might get a plate of really burnt meat, lemon, and cucumbers as an extra if you tip well. This, this oh, is, these wow. are these are the Damn. local secrets. Yeah, yeah. There's, I have, I have no idea that they have lemon and cucumbers there. Wow. They do. They'll give you a little plate on the side. Tip well. They'll give you a little plate on the side with your tacos, with cucumbers, some um, chiles torreados, burnt chiles. Did that, they have chiles torreados there? I think so, yeah. Damn. And... Um, and uh, and just uh, long slivers of meat that have been spent a little time, a, a little more time on the grill. Oh, man, it's the best. This is like the the close out the experience. You know? And uh, and you know, I want everyone to follow this chef homie of mine. Who uh, he's been a big integral reason, and I I, I think you'll meet him soon. Um, his Instagram handle is Jose Tijuanex. So instead of Tijuana, it's the X Indian, and he's about to open up. I think uh, a He's kind of carrying the torch that Placencia and Miguel Angel uh, Guerrero from La Carencia started. You know, like the he's like the new generation of, of Tijuana chefs that are doing really cool shit. He's bringing like uh, he made he made direct deals with like uh, corn farmers in Tlaxcala and is bringing like really good masa and tortillas to Tijuana. Uh, his restaurant is about to open and he's been doing a little bre breakfast here and there. It's called La Carmelita. La Carmelita. La Carmelita. Um, and uh, where's that at? If you Google it, it'll come up. Um, okay. And uh, it, uh, and he's also about to author, uh, uh, or he was a scout for a, a taco book that is going to be dropped soon called Guia Domingo Tijuana, um, working with uh, some people from Monterrey and Mexico City. And uh, he's been a big reason why I've been able to come back to Tijuana and learn about all these spots. Um, he's like a, he's a, he's an ally, and I, you know, and I'm really um, grateful to, you know, because again, I'm not from Tijuana, and I come here and I learn every single time, and he's been a big reason for that. So follow him. Jose, his name's Jose Tijuana X. He, he knows the latest and greatest best tacos. Um, he's the one that, that, that took me to Burritos Chachu in Playa, in Playa de Tijuana. Yeah. Burritos Chachu had, like, a, um, like you know, everything from, like, machaca to, like, portobello mushroom and queso fresco to, uh, like, bistec. But it's, like, beautiful, thin, like, flour tortillas that are kind of grilled. And, you yeah. know, they're the Mexico size. They're, like, the... They're like, like that's funny. the four biters. The, 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 that's funny you say the Mexico size. Of burritos in Tijuana, specifically Tijuana, we'll talk about Tijuana, are not. that We don't think about a burrito as a California mm -hmm. child. Chupo burrito. burrito. Yeah. Beast. Beast. It's a, it's a thin burrito. It's about that big, five bites, four or five mm -hmm. bites. 
It's small. It's a it's like an emergency ration food. Uh, you'll find them in street corners in a little cooler being sold yeah. with champurrado or coffee. Sweaty, the sweaty deliciousness. But it's like it's like burritos in Tijuana. It's kind of like a sandwich that you pack in your backpack. Yeah, it has to, yeah that's 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 a good explanation of it. And it just there's something magical that happens. You know, you can eat the sandwich right when you make it. Um, but if you if you uh, you know if you're if you're if your back sweat kind of warms it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, uh, yeah, yeah. it kind of gets a little squishy. And we, like would, a, we would we would always like, buy, we would always buy them uh, in a place. Uh, it's nearby near El Toreo, where the where the bullfighting ring was. Oh yeah. Uh, they sell them with aluminum foil. So if you want to heat them up, you just put them in the front windshield for a bit, <laughs> you know, to, to heat them up. But every day they would have a different variety. And I always remember Thursdays were pollo and mole burritos with rice. Mm, sounds amazing. Fuck. Well, those were great. But Simple you, would have to be bit, you would have to get there at 5 in the morning. Tijuana's about, the, I feel like the, the, the Tijuana taco scene is about simplicity and just like doing consistency like, and consistency simplicity. And like, again, you know, think about like, why we love pasta? Oh, like people love, oh, Italian food is so simple. It's just tomato sauce and pasta. It's then like, you know, and cheese and that's so delicious. Well, same thing with the taco de asada. It's just taco de asada. It's just carne asada, tortillas, and salsa. Yeah, and it has so, to be a well-made tortilla. Yeah. If the so tortilla simple. sucks, yeah. it's not good. Um, the meat has to be great. By the way, all these places that, are, that I'm name dropping, they're all like, you know, from Tijuanenses. They're not yeah. like extranjero places. They're not like people, they're not opened by people that are not from here. These are all places opened up by Tijuanenses that have lived here. Um, and that have put in work in their communities to kind of like make it to what it is today. Yeah, that's another aspect of uh, taquerias and, and, and some of these businesses that come that uh, form up around them. I mean, a taco sh- a taco spot here in Tijuana is not only supporting the owner, um, work opportunities for some of these mm-hmm. people that basically become entrepreneurs themselves later yeah. on. Because a lot of the people that have taqueria started off working at somebody else's taqueria. Yeah. So it's a university. And at, once at you're sometimes. once you're done eating, you know I'm a big I love the, again going back to the European, you know in, we can in Europe we have like a, like, like digestives and aperitivos you know for liquors and like in Mexico we have el desempanse you know like after a good taco you have a, you go get a good shot of something, and you just or a cocktail and you just or a kawama and just like you know you chill out a little bit that that settles your stomach. Uh, there's a there's a bar here opened up by a Tijuanense one of my favorite Tijuanenses his name's a. Uh, um, the the bar's name is called Aruba Day Drink Bar. Yeah, um, and the guy is uh, his name is Kevin, and uh, he recently just won um, uh, in top fifty. So there's an organization called Top Fifty or World's Best Fifty, and they have like a World's Best Fifty bars in all of North America and in all of North America. So from Canada to US to all of Latin America, and Aruba Day Drink was rated number forty. Um, that's a big fucking deal. That's like. That's put some damn respect on Tijuana. Like yeah. this dude again, but he kind of innovated this concept of being like day drinking. It's like a day drink bar uh, mixology, uh, but it's not pretentious. It's fucking cool. You go there and they're not gonna fucking, you know, put on a show for you to make your cocktail. It's gonna be affordable and it's gonna be a delicious whatever you like to drink, whether it's mezcal, gin, um, you know, vermouth, whatever. It's it's an amazing bar. And then last but not least, uh, actually two more. Farland L Works just opened up. Um, if you drink beer, Tijuana has the best craft beer in all of Mexico because of its proximity to, to San Diego. We started here first. Then yes. We started here first. Uh, Tijuana had a brewery that came out of the, the whole, that basically came out of the California. Which one? Craft brewery. Uh, Tijuana Brewery. Oh, into, yeah. Tijuana, Tijuana Beer Brewery. Insurgentes. Yeah. It's all the, these. It's, it's the first There's one. There's so many. It's the first one that we've ever, like me and Avi would go there. What year? 
What year was this when we would go there, Avi? Like uh, the year 2000? Yeah, the, the, the early 2000s. Yeah. Early 2000s, that's the first time we tried it. Like, that was the first craft beer in Tijuana. Jamuri, too. The the Lagrimas de Angel, the stout. The, it's a, one of the, anyways. But Farland Works is one of those places that, like, you bring someone from the U.S. or you bring someone, and they're going to be like, holy shit, this is real nice. <laughs> yeah. It's like everything is, like, super state-of-the-art. The brewery equipment is, like, nicer than, like, breweries that you find in, like, Portland, Oregon, or like San Diego, it's like it's extremely clean and extremely delicious, and the theme is like sci-fi, and the food is actually pretty good too. Yeah. Um, my friend who does the uh, tortillas, the Nixamal, actually um, sells tortillas too for their fish tacos and their tacos, and it's, so it's a, it's a place. People, uh, gringos love fish tacos and beer. I feel like they always they're always looking for that, and this new it's like brewery, a Baja memory. This exactly, and this new brewery does an excellent version of both. You know, whether you like IPAs, hazies, or, or lagers, and I think a lot of us grew out of beer, but this actually does beer that is worth drinking. Um, and then you, we can't forget, we cannot forget, um, El Dandy del Sur. El Dandy del Sur is iconic. It's iconic. It's, yeah, it is. Uh, it's it's I, I can't I can't I can't call it a dive bar because it's not it's not that's not what it is. Americans will call it that. Americans might call it a dive bar because not that's not what it is. It's a it's a humbling bar. It's a place where that we talk about everybody being the same. You know, it's on it's um it's it, off, it's off of revolution. It's a, it's off of revolution, but it's 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 been there forever. Uh, I remember going past that place and seeing wheelbarrows and, and shovels outside from some of the patrons that would leave them outside. Wow. And then mixing with the reporters and some of the cops. Like yeah. It was good punk rock scene there. Yeah. Dive, the cheap beer. It was, it, it's, it's always been a place in Tijuana. And that is, it's, it's a kind of bar that you go there for like, a, you know, a boilermaker. You get your shot and a beer. Yeah. And your carne seca. If you haven't there, yeah. carne seca botana, it's, it's, they, I think they microwave it a little bit. It's a little warm and it's in a yeah, pool they, of like limon and chile y sal. They just, they, they, they put it in, they put it in a microwave on a fucking plate to make <laughs> it, you know, malleable, yeah. uh, edible, I guess. Yeah. Um, this, uh, it is a pretty, it's a pretty good glimpse into what Tijuana is. It is people coming from work, people talking about what's going on. It is a bar that has been there forever, basically. Uh, I've met, I met a bunch of celebrities there. It's been it's like a place where people just appear. Yeah, Macaulay yeah. Culkin. It's I'm, dark. You met Macaulay Culkin there? I met Macaulay Culkin, at the bar, which is a weird one. Um, it's dark in there. It's dark in there, and yeah, you, it's, it's, you can hide in a corner somewhere. You can hide in a corner. Like, I don't drink anymore, but I still go there with some of my friends I still drink. And I always have a Shirley Temple in that corner, and it's, it's it, you don't need to drink in that place. Yeah. It's like a, it's a pretty interesting, interesting spot. If you want to go back in time, you know, that's yeah. a pretty good, interesting spot. And then, you know, we also need to, like, acknowledge Tijuana's power in coffee. The coffee, see, the, there's amazing coffee shops here that will rival some of the best in New York or like Seattle or something, and no one knows that because there's just it's not something that if you're not local, it's not something you're looking for yeah. as a traveler. I there's guess. three. There's three that I recommend. You you know, there's a new brand new one that just opened up a month ago called Comunal. Um, okay, look it up. Um, there's another one that just opened up too. It's called Baristas Bravos. Um, and then the last one is Cafe Aether, A E T H E R, like ether. Um, I would love to go with you and take you there one day if you yeah. have coffee. Um, the uh, the owner is a philosopher. 
and he's making insane out like outside the box like coffee drinks like uh, he'll have like a salvia latte so he'll go to like you know uh, have some salvia some some sage and he'll make like a syrup out of that and it's like a I don't drink lots of like sweet stuff but that's really one of the few ones I drink he also has like a tepache half tepache and half cold brew so it's like a it's refreshing and it's amazing. And yeah. uh, again, these are all things like, oh shit, the Juana has that? Yes, it fucking does. Yeah. If you a, give it a shot. If it, but the, it's, it's like a local thing. It is locals. But now, since locals are Americans, that's another aspect of it. Again, things are changing. Locals are Americans. Think about that. Tijuana yeah. is a place where Americans are locals, where weed gets trafficked from the U.S. into Mexico. <laughs> And well, there's a lot of hidden stuff like that, those cops. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, thanks for having me so much. Ed. This, uh, this, the, the, the project you have with LA, with this LA Taco project. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? LA Taco is a crazy experiment that worked out. Um, it's, it's street level inclusive journalism. So we share the platform with people who have never written stories before, but they are leaders in their neighborhoods, and uh, they write their own stories, and I hire them to, I coach them, edit them, um, and we wanted James Beard for that philosophy. We are member-supported, so we're not big. Uh, we know a lot of our people by, by a lot of our members by name, um, and the secret to our journalism is uh, we, um, <laughs> so crazy, we, we find out where the best tacos are in every single, in every single neighborhood in LA, but we also, um, do investigative journalism and like keep people in power accountable. Yeah, so I, I, like I've a, seen. I've seen. It's like a. I don't know. Like I, I equated to like, It's a, It's a super weird thing where I'm like, oh, these bastards can't get away with it. I'll go to those tacos next time I'm in LA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like it's like it's it's both. Yeah, it's a, and it's a weird thing that I think can only exist in LA. It it it's definitely something that is unique and. I get the aspect of it coming from a food specific place. When you talk about uh, street vendors, uh, community businesses run by people that are migrant community members, um, people that are legit proving that the American dream is real still, because some people are mm -hmm. skeptical about it, but it's, it's, it's pretty real. Um, I think it definitely has something to do with the politics around it and some of the community uh, politics around it. I mean, in Tijuana, going to taco place is usually something that's, that's like a barber shop in, in a lot of places. That's you talk politics there too. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting space for that to kind of like uh, flow out of um, the the um, the travel the moving around, the experiencing new places, the trying to find uh, the latest and greatest. Um, it, uh, it's a dopamine rush sometimes mm -hmm. to find it. Um, when it's not there, <laughs> when, it's, when travel's not an option, when it's just you, like what do you make for yourself? Damn, that's a crazy question. Um, no, no one's ever asked me that before. Uh, I'll tell you mine. If you feel like, I'll tell okay. you mine after if you want. Or I can yeah, tell, tell, you. Me, tell, tell me yours first. Uh, I'll go to a place, uh, a bar, uh, there's a very specific butcher shop in, in, uh, in La Cinco y Diez. People, people will know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to burn my sources. There's a very specific butcher shop in La Cinco y Diez. 
I'll buy New York style flap steaks. New York New York uh, flap steaks from there. Yeah. They marinate everything in house. It's amazing. I'll go to another store and buy the flour tortillas from a very specific lady that makes them that I like. She uses a lot of lard in her tortillas. And then I'll go buy specific uh, avocados, aguacates, not, nothing else. Just aguacate, limon, sal. That's it. Smush it all together. Make a grill outside of my balcony and just sit down. Um, salsa campestre from a Baja company. Salsa campestre. I don't know what they put in that. Some sort of weird witchcraft. Just a red sauce that is just perfect on everything. And sometimes when I'm really just struggling with everything else, I can form, construct this thing for myself, this tesseract of happiness. Um, I find peace in that. And specifically when I go out and do all the things that I do and find all these dopamine experiences and I come back, it's my, it's my meditation, I guess. Well, it's the, the reason why that question caught me off guard is because like, my wife is a recipe developer and cooks a lot. She cooks a lot at home, like uh, for for us, and uh, so you, you, it could be that. Like she's usually yeah, but I mean no, but like no, I, I want to like you know answer your question head on. Like what do I eat when I'm home alone? Like that's you know when she's away, and I'm like, I think I find myself wrapping everything with tortillas. <laughs> that's just because it's like it's sometimes it's a napkin. Yeah, it's you know whether it's edible napkin. We always bring back a lot of cheese from Mexico. Yeah, that's that's a contraband. Fuck, yeah. fuck, uh, fuck drugs, cheese. <laughs> so we we t- we bring back a lot of cheese, like menonita, like asadero, like uh, you know quesillo from Oaxaca, like you know whatever, all unpasteurized goodness. Have you have you seen that poster that says? Uh, I mean, it's a T-shirt and a poster, and it says like uh, uh, things that are illegal in the U.S. and things that are illegal, and it has a bunch of like a bunch of like raw French cheeses, like mimolette. All these cheeses that are illegal in the U.S. because they're raw made, they're made with raw milk, but then it has like all these like guns that are illegal. <laughs> yeah. So it's like the comparison of like, you know, what's legal. So I bring a lot of cheese. Um, I eat a lot of eggs, like every other Mexican. You know. Well, con chorizo. Well, con chorizo. Um, yeah, I cook. I cook a lot of quesadillas. I eat a lot of beans. Um, quesadillas. I'm also I'm also really passionate about rice. I uh, have probably like mastered not mastered, but I've I've really worked my way up to knowing how to cook. Pilafs, you know, like arroz, like arroz rojo, what is, people call Spanish rice for some reason. Yeah. Um, uh, or like, you know, Japanese rice, short grain rice, uh, or jasmine rice. You know, uh, I love eating rice in all forms. So, but I cook, it from, I cook it from scratch. Now I have a rice cooker if I'm lazy, but I really love cooking rice and messing up and learning how to make it better. So I'm, I'm like one of those cooks. I'm like, I do one thing and I just make it like a lot. How's your arroz con leche? Arroz con leche with coconut milk. Yeah, coconut milk. I, li- I love uh, I love coconut milk. It's it's because uh, you know, lech- uh, sweet and condensed milk is a crutch, bro. Yeah, I know. It's a crutch, yeah. and you, and so many Mexican matriarchs just add that shit to everything. Echale lechera. Echale lechera, and it's like you're drinking an, or- an horchata, and you're like, mm, this is really good. Why? Let, let me lechera. lechera. Uh, you're, you're having a th- leches cake. Oh, why? This is really good. Why? Lechera. You're having sweet ass condensed milk. <laughs> you're having like a gelatina. Why is it so good? Oh. You're having arroz con leche, why? It's like, oh, my, my, gra- my grandma's coffee was so good. Why? <laughs> also, uh, another crutch in Mexican cooking is nor suiza. Nor suiza, yeah. It's a chicken bouillon powder. It's essentially just chicken flavored MSG. Um, no, shame on, no shame on MSG. MSG <laughs> is a, it's a, it's an ingredient, just like every other ingredient. But a lot of Mexican moms, I mean, it's even in salsas. Yeah. I'm sure you know that. Yeah, yeah. Whenever you have like a salsa and you're like, 
you just can't stop scooping on your tacos and you almost want to just drink, like, would you want to sip like a soup? It's because it probably has <laughs> chicken bouillon powder in that yeah. shit. And, you know, there's, there's no rules. The yeah. rules, you, know, you set the rules. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I've learned through my wife that, like, it's better to just kind of cook chicken and use that broth to cook your rice instead of just, like, putting a powder, like a magic powder in it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's a difference. Yeah. Uh, thank you for coming on and uh, having this conversation about food, life, and uh, writing. And uh, basically how to bring some of your experiences to other people's lives and inspire. Uh, I know I've definitely been inspired by some of your stuff. And uh, it's made me think a little bit more about the act of going to a taco cart and what that actually means. Mm -hmm. Not just for myself, but also for the people that work there, for the people that live in that city, for the for the memories that are usually made in places where there's a little bit of risk and how that's, those are usually the stories we talk about afterwards. So thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you. I mean, that means a lot to me. Um, thank, and thanks so much for having me. I got to say, I've been invited for a lot of, pod I've been invited to a lot of podcasts. I've done a lot of podcasts. I usually say no to a lot of them now because they're all the same old shit. But doing this interview with you is unlike anything else I've, I've ever done. Um, I think maybe because also like, I don't know, you and I have like a, We've been we 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 had an adventure. So yeah, like, an adventure, but also like I don't know. We have some kind of a chemistry, and it's a it's a. No matter how much you prepare for an interview on this show, you always find a way of of disarming your subject mentally. So props on you. Thank Just, you. Because I'm also like an interviewer and a, and a reporter, so. Thank I, you. I know, like you know, I, you've uh, you you took a lot of. Uh, a different approach to interviewing, um, and you've like freeballed it essentially, right? Because you just yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm legit yeah. interested. So that's a lost start, and like you know, I, I just you know, I can't wait to keep on listening to your podcast. And thanks so much for having me. Thank you for coming on, and uh, let's go get some tacos. Oh, I'm dying for tacos. Let's go. Oh.